Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, the official podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. This is episode 78, Wonders of Life Part 2. And you may be wondering when we're done, if there'll be a part three. Well, you're going to have to wait to the end to find out. This is your host, Todd McCartney, and sitting with me as always this evening... Mr. JT Couser, how are you doing this evening, JT? I'm great. Uh, you know, I, but I was telling you guys, we just got back from Florida for a little yeah. weekend trip recently. Uh, Ohana, my first dinner there. Oh, and, nice. And uh, yeah, it was a fun, fun time for being at the world for about six hours or so. Good, good time to pop down and say hello to all the friends down there. But ready to get back to wonders of life because this is right in my wheel well, as they say, with Epcot. <laughs> That's right. And I heard a little chuckle coming from Tampa. Uh, I hate to say it, how I ran out of things to say about Tampa and, and what they are and the name of the city. But for not, for tonight, we'll just call you from St. Pete, where you always hail from. So Mr. Hal Bowers from St. Uh, Pete. Aloha, everybody. Glad to be here tonight. Ready to ready to talk some wonders. Yep. It's I'm surprised wonder there's not a, a nickname about the protective shield that Hal talked about. <laughs> Oh, oh the, the, yeah. Over Tampa. You know Don't jinx it. Don't, you can't talk about it. We used to, you know, we used to have a, a thing here called the Thunderdome, which was our stadium, which is now Tropicana Field. So I'm going to call it the Thunderdome because that sounds, you know. Okay. There you go. Did they it's really a, call it the Thunderdome? That's what they called it. Yeah. Mm. Huh. Was it on the same property as uh, Tropicana? It's literally the same Tropicana? building. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. <laughs> they just well, renamed it. It officially <laughs> said on the building Thunderdome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so long try to do the condensed story so they were uh when they built that stadium they're actually trying to get a professional hockey team for in there they were they were thinking the lightning were going to play in that uh and so they built it and the lightning decided not to play there <laughs> um in fact i think at that time tampa was one up for an expansion team and i think our area did not get the expansion team at all and so the building went largely unused for about oh my gosh two or three years i think and they would just do things like they would have concerts there mm -hmm. and uh they would do things like the world's largest flea market where they just opened oh probably bring in flash tables and stuff yeah like and lightning then, yeah <laughs> and then finally uh we got you know the the baseball expansion team and that's when they put the baseball inside of that and then after a few years they realized oh the stadium really wasn't built for baseball and we have all mm -hmm. these issues with balls knocking off of the ceiling and all that stuff. And so then they put a bunch of money into it and expanded, like kind of blew out, I guess, one side of it and extended it. And it's still not a great stadium for baseball because it was never really designed for baseball. Right. Right. But it's, it's what we have and, and what we use and interesting. Maybe, maybe someday we'll get another one. Yeah. Uh, probably 
two or three more World Series championships later. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, someday. someday I, we'll I think up. stadiums and the history of stadiums is fascinating. Actually, I was reading about something today at a stadium that happened in the UK in the 80s. And then I, the whole story of Kaminsky, Kaminsky Park during a concert with Kiss called the World Series of Rock caught fire. I mean, it's just so much oh, really wow. interesting interesting stadium history but uh so hold on hold on I'm, I'm getting a message it is it is mr brian p miles coming in from the site of the former site of the spectrum i believe in philadelphia brian how is it out there on the street have the flyers and the the philly fanatic there tonight the, on the, the phillies are headed to the world series yes so, yeah look at so that they we're starting Woo. to burn things down like but i have something things to say about the previous introductions first of all jt ohio and Ohana. I mean, it's just one less consonant and a few different vowels. That is <laughs> true. Very close. That is true. Blended together. And and how, uh, if you remember, it was a, a, the Florida Suncoast Dome, they oh. called it. And mm. I have a great story about that. Uh, they were looking at expansion teams and Bill Giles, the owner of the Phillies, uh, as you know, the Phillies play their, their pre, uh, spring training in Clearwater. Yep. So uh, there was a big discussion as to whether that stadium would be appropriate for baseball with the, with the dome, as you mentioned. So what they did is the Phillies brought outfielder Von Hayes, uh, number nine for the Philadelphia Phillies back then in 1991, and Bill Giles sitting on the baseball expansion committee, and like a team of, of prospective like Tampa baseball owners went to the stadium to see some fly balls hit to Von Hayes and some other outfielders to see if they could see the ball off of the white ceiling oh, the interior of the white ceiling yeah so the first ball that was hit von hayes who was something of a jokester uh pretended he couldn't see the ball and just let it drop <laughs> to no one's amusement but himself oh, he then proceeded to catch the next 30 without a problem but he pretended the first time not to be able to see it and uh that's a great Von Hayes and oh, Sun Peaks. Yes, it is. Yes, I thought you were going to say just cracked him right in the head. <laughs> no, no, he just said like he 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 went up like I can't see it, I can't see it, and let it fall. Is there video and footage of this? I don't, I doubt it. Uh, or if there is, some guy from Tampa's prospective expansion team destroyed it years ago. Yeah, uh, there were news articles written about it, and I that's why I just as you were doing the intros, I did the quick search. I'm like, I remember this story and. That's sure hilarious. enough, it popped up. If you search up Von Hayes, St. Petersburg or Suncoast Dome, you'll you'll see the story pops up. It's very funny. well, ladies and gentlemen, that ends and concludes our episode 78 yeah. Wonders of Stadiums for this month. We hope you tune in next month where we're going to examine. Wait a second. We're going to we be got talking more? about we're going to be talking about Epcot's Dome Stadium tonight. Oh, that's right. It, it's a dome. Look at, it's a look dome. at this well, there segue. It wow, that, that doesn't perfect. leak like the kingdom. The roof isn't collapsed. Well, at least not anymore. Maybe not anymore. It did for a little while. It is. It, right. is, the, it is the sky dome of, uh, of, of Epcot. Uh, Epcot domes. Yeah, yeah. that's true. It, it's 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 not retractable, which would be yeah, local. Yeah, anyway. Sky Dome Canadian. Is that sky, the it is, but it's but it's the, the last. It's like the last dome anybody ever built, and it was like they perfected the dome by that yeah. point, and then they're like, let's stop building these things. But yeah. <laughs> I always like that. I mean, I love Sky Dome because, like, this the, it opens up. And there's some newer football ones that open up. I know there I might be, but I don't. But they're not dome. Yeah, so. yeah, it's like a, yeah, you're right. It's like a field house type. Yeah, thing. Yep. exactly. It's, but uh, my my favorite Sky Dome story, since we're telling dome stories, <laughs> is one <laughs> night. One story. night they're playing a game. I don't know. Sometime back in the early '90s, when after they opened it, and uh, the field became just inundated with gnats. 
Oh. Like, you know, just a, there was swarms of gnats on the field. So they closed the dome and put the air conditioner on. And in like five minutes, the gnats all <laughs> dissipated. <laughs> so, you know, it's nice to be able to control the weather. That's right. All right. Well, before we get into the golden dome that we're going to talk about later on in this episode, which Hal's going to take us through, uh, Mr. JT Couser, as always, you have the mailbag and your mail is being delivered at a better rate than mine here in New Hampshire, as we uh, talked about earlier. It's, so It's funny you say that because yeah. I know your mail, you said it's a week or so behind. Well, oh, it's terrible. Right some, now. Of, some of these pieces of mail I found are a year old. So well, there you go. Uh, we're going to dig deep into the mailbag. Uh, some of these are a little crinkled, but I'm going to work my way through them here. Um, and these two are actually connected. I have one here from Scott and one here from Gion. And they both wanted to touch base uh, mostly regarding, they don't really listen to podcasts, but you know they, they, they love, love ours, yeah, obviously. Uh, but the big thing with both of them, Scott, we, first we, we off. We have a lot in common with these guys. I, I know. Yeah. I like them already. Scott's been going through the back catalog. Uh, he says he spent the past 23-ish years working with the FAA. So um, if anything comes up with aviation, he, he said, you know, he'll help us with that. And I think we were talking about uh, at that point a year ago, the the lights on the buildings yeah. and all that and that whole thing. But uh, he asked us if we could do potentially a uh, an aviation episode about hot air balloons, uh, you know, the ultralights, the stole port, anything like that. And I think that that was a cool idea. There's, there's a lot there. Now we can also, obviously, you know, cause every series needs a part two and three and four. Gion wrote in and I, I don't recall this. Maybe we did it, but I don't think we did. Did we do dream flight by chance? Yes. Yes. We did talk about we that. We did. Yep. Okay. So I will link that then. So Gian, I'm sorry. We already did that episode and Scott, you're still in the hopper as an option for sure. So uh, we did do a dream flight, but he, he is asking though, if you had wings, that's the thing. We talked about that one in the very early, I believe in, Oh my goodness. That's going to be like episode number one, I believe planning for tomorrow. <laughs> Um, which was our first. Wow. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm looking at our archive here yeah. and, uh, I just yeah, remember episode... telling us it was free and they say so right. a lot cause it was free. <laughs> and that is, uh, that is absolutely true. So here it is. Uh, and JT, this, these are your words. The Grand Prix Raceway. If you had wings and mission to Mars and others are discussed in crystal clear retro detail. There we go. So episode one, we <laughs> apologize about with the poor audio and poor editing, we didn't really know what we were doing back then. We still don't know what we're doing, but we're doing something right. But yeah, checked it out. And uh, Dream Flight um, was actually episode 34, entire episode dedicated to Dream Flight. 34 for Dream Flight. All right. Well, there you we'll, go. We'll put it, links to them in the show notes. Yeah. 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 Dina, we can certainly go back and do a, another If You Had Wings centric episode because there's been a lot more new wings. info that's come out about it since we've done that. So yeah. Yeah, we let's just need a whole episode that. called like Take Flight or something like that. You know, Ooh, oh, soar around and all stuff. Uh, so. And by the way, it's not Gion. He at the bottom of his email, he put little prince. He's pronounced John. So John. sorry, okay. John. <laughs> just, and he shall be Gion. <laughs> shall be a good man. He shall live Gion. 
So we serenaded you. It's like it's like the office episode with with Thunder Mifflin and Sabre. Uh, it's Sabre. Sabre. And they can't stop Are singing. Sure, Sabre. sure, it's not Sabre. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Scott and John, thank you so much for those. And uh, next up, so I'm going back to the summer here. And in the summer, we had a little talk about the pictorial souvenirs and small world. And how we had the one listener write in and said his family was captured in the pictorial souvenir and there yeah. they are. And, you know, it took 10 years for him to 20 years for him to buy it and prove to his parents. There we are. Well, uh, at six miles tall on Twitter wrote us and he said, speaking of pictorial souvenir books, uh, here's one from the 1984 book. My brother, his girlfriend and her brother were all pictured on world of motion and he went as far as taking uh fancy arrows and identifying the people in the brochure here so this is super exciting and we'll put this in the show notes as well because it looks like uh six miles tall's family has been captured forever so we could put this out here if you or your family have ever been in any disney (laughs) promotional videos or pictorial souvenirs you know write us with uh with screenshots or or scans of it because that's fascinating and we should we should share that with everybody and this brings up an interesting topic because you guys know i've said this before uh i would get the free vacation planning vhs and we would just play it just for fun like my sister and i we'd watch them we'd go on a trip we'd be watching it the week before to get all hyped up and there's always a moment on those that sticks out, I'm sure, in a lot of people's minds or, you know, the like the what's the polka dot shirt lady on Space Mountain, that footage, you always see it. Uh, if we can get the guy that says about interventions, it's like a thousand Sega games under one roof. <laughs> I want to know who that guy is, because he was on like every video for interventions. And then they showed Sonic holding the big ring, you know, and the whole deal. But every time I was like, look at this guy. He, he loves it. He's so excited. All right. We can we can certainly work on that guy. How old was he when he when the video was shot, JT? I don't know, maybe like 40. All like right, early so there's 30s. a chance. There's a chance he's still out there. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, uh, six miles tall for that. Appreciate that. That'll be in the show notes. Next up is a letter from Dan, our our person of the century. He nice. writes again. Yeah. Vote for Dan. Vote, Vote for Dan. Dan. He's gonna... He's still, he only has uh what 78 years left of this fame, so keep voting for him. <laughs> Uh, he wanted to write us actually uh, related to uh, Wonders of Life and Body Wars. And uh, he was there for a preview. He says there was no warning signs for Body Wars. And we had no idea what the ride actually was, which is interesting because it seems like that was the case with a lot of these attractions there. People didn't know what they were when the park, the you know area that park first opened. Uh, he says it was very rough, though. His father had a serious heart conditions and as it turns out should not have ridden it. Luckily, he didn't have to go to the hospital, but it was pretty ugly for a few hours. He ended up staying in the room for the rest of the vacation. Uh, later that day, he went back himself, was waiting for Cradium Command. He ran into Frank Wells. Now, he did say he met him earlier, but he ran into him on the second day. He says it was just me and him and, and his assistant, I guess. He asked what I thought of Body Wars, and I told him the truth. He said it was fun, but you already did this with Star Tours. What a bold thing to say, by the way, to, you know, Dan, just coming in there hot with it. Uh, it would have been better if you went through with the original plans of a roller coaster. I do love Cranium Command, though. Hans and Franz are great. 
He put his hand on his head and slowly shook it. I then said, oh, yeah, there are no warning signs in Body Wars. Almost killed my father earlier today. Uh, he told them what happened. His assistant immediately left. By the time they came out of Cranium Cure, Body Wars was closed for the day. The next morning, warning signs were placed about every 10 feet in the line. Uh, he ran into Mr. Wells several more times over the next few days at Indiana Jones, the Grand Floridian, and he was extremely friendly. He did not want to bother him for a photo or an autograph, but he's kicking himself now. So, well, he ran into him like seven times. It wouldn't have been rude by like the third or fourth time. By that point, you guys are familiar with each other. Right? <laughs> I, I wonder if he he said as he passed him, "Vote for Dan." Ever. <laughs> <laughs> but interesting story. I mean, uh, I what, could they have overlooked warning signs that on the, that type of ride that early? Like, were like were, were warning signs that prevalent when this opened? I mean, we'll get into this a little bit, but there was a lot of stuff that just kind of and showed up like right at the very last minute when this pavilion was being put together. I mean, it was there were many aspects of it that were falling behind. So is it possible that some of the warning signs, you know, didn't show up in time to be installed for the preview? Sure. That's absolutely plausible. Um like making me didn't open until another 20 some odd days, like after the pavilion opened because like it wasn't together yet. So, um, and, and I suspect they probably didn't put up, you know, the permanent sign. So there's two, two, he doesn't tell us, maybe Dan can tell us if he was listening, like, were they the permanent signs or were they like temporary things from the sign shop that they put together and put up, you know, like flat printed stuff. Cause either it just hadn't, hadn't like they certainly can't make you know the dimensional final signs overnight um but they can you know make stuff in walt disney world's print shop or at least they could back then pretty pretty quickly and you know that that was an oversight um that was a as we will talk about when we do body wars it's like that was a rough ride and there there was one section in particular where more people you know puked than anywhere else so um yeah that's that is a interesting story though it's like i I know a lot of times things kind of well as as we get into it there's another sign that they forgot and we'll talk about that tonight too was it the stomach section (laughs) it was it wasn't actually (laughs) all right well thanks dan we're going to continue to vote for you uh next up is (laughs) brian Brian, uh, not Miles, this Brian says, uh, hey, all in the latest podcast, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids Movie Set Adventure. This is another old piece of mail. Uh, you guys mentioned the Coke bottles that be, used to be near used near the Splash Fountain. He just wanted to mention that they have been moved to the wide world of sports. And he sent us a photo here of them. Uh, you know, I did a little digging on this in the, the, the Coke bottles that I see outside of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. They did a clever thing where they covered up the term hot set and it says cool set. And it does say, honey, I shrunk the kids. So these were because <laughs> it cools you off. It's refreshing. Yes, that's that's it. And uh, these were near there. It was almost like a quick serve, like Coke and snack type thing, uh, ice cream, maybe like a like a little you know counter service thing that's mobile. And I almost want to look at the uh, the one uh, the picture he sent us at Wide World of Sports is a little distant but it very well could be because there is a single Coke bottle that is loose like there is in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids one. So I'm um, going to do a little digging, Brian, and, and check this out. But have you guys seen this at Wide World of Sports? I believe I drove through the Wide World of Sports parking lot once, and that's the extent okay. of my experience <laughs> at Wide World of Sports. It's- well, I know uh, coming up here, if we get this out in time, is uh, 
uh, Wine and Dine Marathon Weekend. If anybody is a listener and running that race and you're at Wide World of Sports, uh, feel free to check that out. And, uh, you know, different different people visiting for a sporting event, maybe uh, you could see if that's uh, give us a couple shots of that out there and we'll see. But uh, thanks for that, Brian. He sent us a cool picture. It's like this Zapruder like look. It's kind of far away. And you're like, is that it? That's it. OK, yeah, that's it. It's all right. How and Todd will do some measurements and then uh, do some Google mapping and. Uh, i want to know the date these bottles were placed at the wide world of sports you (laughs) can't miss them from a satellite they'll have it it narrowed down to a like a three-month window (laughs) it's funny you say that because we're going to get into that today is that today it is today oh i'm so excited okay tonight's the big night that the big uh, our our two math (laughs) majors our two math math majors get their uh their day in the sun the National Security Agency over here with looking at their aerial photographs. This is a Nerdenheimer. It's all right. We got clearance to do this. This isn't uh all right, just Dexter. Adjusted satellites a little bit. <laughs> all right, last one. This is from Jarrett. And Brian, I know you answered this one very quickly. He says uh he was actually Jarrett was listening to the Honey I Shrunk the Kids episode, but this was written to us in October, so he's a little bit behind. He says, uh, we spoke briefly about the studio catering in Backlot Tour. He's seen photos and videos of the entrance, and uh, he was wondering if the if that was an actual prop of the dip machine from Roger Rabbit, uh, or was it just like a like a fake one? You know nope. what what was that? It's the one from the movie. Done. So Michael, there you go, Jerry. Mike, Michael Eisner monetizing everything he could. I know, right? And then, uh, not to be confused with, was it the dip mobile that you could climb under, or was that was just a steamroller? Over oh, that was store. a steamroller, yeah. A little different, yes. But there were a lot of vehicles from Who Framed Roger Rabbit that ended up back there. Yeah. Like the the wrecked uh, the wrecked car that Roger drives, like when he comes out of Toontown. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that, that was one was there. Up. Yeah, so there's there's quite a, and like a load of props from, uh, in the funny, in the loony bin, like there was a bunch of props from the movie that ended up in there. Did so. you know they had Walt Disney's plane there too? <laughs> On the, the tour? Looney- <laughs> I, I there there were some weird ones there for a while then they had like the the random uh water vehicles from the rock yeah oh then, yeah flight of the net they of all things too somehow they dug out of the mothballs uh blue thunder was sitting there like under <laughs> the helicopter like, you're like how'd that get here that movie came out like five years before the park opened yeah, a lot ones. of earnest a lot of earnest uh properties too so. yeah no, should you recognize this one that's Vern's car yeah, Vern. why would i know that <laughs> i i always laugh about that hundred nights of blackjack savage <laughs> boat that like nobody saw that tell that nbc show ever well now, but now like, we're gonna now we're gonna have to v- have a viewing party yeah but for years it's like everyone was like and here's the boat from the hundred lives of jack blacks <laughs> black jack savage everyone's like you you <laughs> 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 remember that I, I did like too towards the end there they were like and here are the planes from Pearl Harbor and you're looking you're like that's not a plane that's like a prop they shot from like a hundred yards away like it's a horrible model of a of a P forty think, think about when they finally closed that back lot like empty nest golden girls and everybody's like what are these shows they're talking about like none of these shows have been on the air for years. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you, Jared. Uh, that's the story on the dip mobile. That's going to close the mailbag up. We've uh, sifted it up, it turned it all up, the whole thing, and it's uh, gotten us some good ones. So thank you, Irby Fett. If you'd like to be on the show or have a question, write us podcast at retrowdw.com. Uh, any and all messages have a chance to end up on the show, and uh, we try to get to all of them. So thank you so much. All right. Well, it's time for this episode's main topic Wonders of Life Part Two. Now, Back in part one, how you took us through a wonderful history and explanation of how the pavilion came to be and the design and thought process behind it. But tonight, this is the moment I think a lot have waited for, is we're going to walk under that arch, up the weaving pathway past fountains and DNA, and enter the golden dome of wonders Wait, of life. Go, go back. What arch? Oh, we're going to get to that. It wasn't gonna... an arch when I went there. Well, there Maybe was there at was. one time, and there's a lot to do that. And Brian hinted at that. So tonight, we're, we're going to tell some stories. We're going to bust some myths. We're going to talk about design. We're going to walk through the pavilion. And uh, how has been putting this episode together for quite a while. And uh, we are all happy to be here because it feels like it took us like seven years to get this episode together. And just in the past couple of weeks, we haven't been able to record due to conflicting schedules, but alas, here we are. So how take it away. I think we all have our parts ready when you are. So good. Okay. So as, as we talked about uh, the last episode was just quick, get you up to speed in case, in case you haven't listened to it yet, you know, back in, back in the seventies, Rolly Crump was brought on, brought back actually to, uh, to work on this pavilion and uh, came up with a lot of ideas for it. Uh, basically, that that there were health habits that people should do, uh, and there were array an array of attractions that that they came up with uh, in order to get this idea of eight health habits out to people. Plus, uh, a show about um, about uh, hand like uh, called Head Trip, which had robots, and you were. Um, going to learn about how to manage, you know, manage stress and stuff that was going on. And just a whole bunch of things, a trip through the human body. And all of these things uh, ended up actually coming to life in the version of Wonders of Life that was made, but in slightly different formats. So it's, it was really fascinating to go back and, and see a decade. Yeah. Like mm. a no, two decades. Yeah, like a decade before this yeah. thing opened, it's like that these concepts still carried forward, um, and and were done just in the the late '80s style instead of in the like late '70s or yeah. early '80s style. That it is fascinating. You would assume that once a project was shelved, that they would, you know, start over again. But the the fact is, almost everything that he came up with exists in some form or another in, in the pavilion as, as it was built. Um, as, as we talked about, it had a big gold dome. Uh, so as you walked up to this, uh, you could kind of see the, the dome shape. Uh, it was a hundred thousand square feet, uh, in total of space in there. So it was massive, um, 50,000 square feet inside of the dome. The dome was 65 feet high. So as you got in, it was good two, three stories over your head. Oh yeah. I just want to caution at the outset, we're talking about it in the past tense. All of this is still there. The dome is still there. The space is still there. <laughs> That's a good point. You know, 
Yeah, will this become a, the play pavilion? Well, it won't become the play pavilion. I think we know that now. <laughs> yeah. What they'll something eventually else do pavilion. with it, God only knows. Will yeah. it become something? But it's it's basically if you if you had not been in it, it's it's basically like a giant circle with the dome on top, and uh, you know you kind of walk in on an upper floor and and then walk down. But we'll we'll get there. So um, they uh, it was sponsored by MetLife which is the holding company of the Metropolitan Life Insurance Agency, which is one of the largest, if not the largest, providers of insurance to Americans. Uh, and uh, getting a sponsor for this, as we talked about on, on the Rollies episode, was a huge chore. And so um, it was quite a big deal when they managed to get MedLife to sign on. Um, there were some discussions with Humana at one point about sponsoring it, uh, but they wanted to take it like way I guess too much in an insurance way, and so Disney and them kind of backed off on it. Uh, it, it on it. it, it's really interesting too. The we should talk briefly about the dome sure. as a choice, because when they built the rest of Future World, or whatever it's called now, World Discovery and World Wonder and whatever, uh, but when they built the rest of Future World, every one of those buildings was some form of architectural nightmare where they were designed beautifully, but you know they led to leaks or they led to overheating or they led to some kind of a problem as a result of the shape of the greenhouses and the things at the land and the, you know, the, the, the pyramids at the imagination building and all, which if you see them now, I mean, it's like you just want to rip them all down and put new glass up that doesn't have streaks and stain. <laughs> and I wonder if there was a point where there was just this, you know what? We're just going to put a dome up because <laughs> water will roll off. Yeah, it's water easy. will roll off. There's nothing to like kind of get worn out. We could just repaint it whenever we need to. And I, I also think that roof, I mean, when you look at that's an off the shelf. Like, I want all these triangles. And if I assemble them this way, I'm going to get a dome. Yeah. Right. Well, there's it's nothing. A, it's like a pole amazing here. Like, you can just yeah. go out and get it. Tinker toy. It's a big tinker toy set. We're it's gonna an talk NFL, more it's an NFL shows. practice facility. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some economic advantage to. Oh, sure. oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's think about it. no corners for the foundation. I mean, there are corners on the foundation, but look, just big round thing. Dig a hole and, in the ground. And, and, and the beauty of it is, is they, they set that back there. I know we're, we might be spoiling somehow. And then they set up like Lombard Street to get there, where you just had to kind of like swing <laughs> exactly. back and forth through the, through the, the crooked street at Epcot. To, well, yeah. that goes back to my, I've always said this, all the stuff was on that side was supposed to be hard science and the life soft science was on the other side. The landscape, that was the first landscaping change over on the east side that changed and went away from all the angular walkways to something soft and winding. It didn't belong on that side, in my humble opinion. Well, I mean, World of Motion was a big circle too. Well, no, I'm saying the pathways, but oh yeah, they say yeah, the yeah. entrance to it and the way you know the, the yeah the, for sure it was also hard yeah. the hardscaping out front yeah and so yeah but, and it was also tucked back so it was slightly set back from where the other pavilions were. I have to think that maybe that's some of the design too. That hey, we have a limited footprint. How can we tuck it back and get more space, but not you know not make right. it overly imposing and take over the other buildings. Cause don't forget horizons there. It was a pretty damn big building. I, right? I suppose there's probably a sweet spot between making sure that it, it backed up to the, uh, to the, what Avenue of the stars. So that way mm. people could do deliveries in and out of it without having to drive a mile up to the front of it. There's probably a sweet spot as you say of like, it, 
let's get it back far enough where it's it's not fighting the other architecture around it and not uh so f- so far forward that we can't access the back of it and uh you know do the service stuff that we need i'll, I'll just say i don't know if i'm alone in this uh but whenever in any city in any place in any location i have if i pass a dome i'm always like oh what's that dome you know like, <laughs> what's, what's going on back there because you see them in cities and places. Oh, what's what's, the, what's up with the dome? It is a, still a very unusual architectural choice. There, you're right. To your point, there aren't a lot of domes everywhere. Good dome talk. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, we're doomed with that. Well, <laughs> I will say too, and I'm looking, and I'm, I'm doing the you guys move looking on Google. There's a there's a pretty large portion of it that's that's square. Oh, sure, in the too, back. You know? Yeah, that's yeah. where the ride is almost the, like the feeders. Almost. Yeah, the feeders yeah. in the so the, the what you really saw, what you participated in as a. It is funny though. You look at this next to uh, Wonders of Life and uh, uh, Universe of Energy. It's it's so tiny. I mean, it's it's different oh, shapes, yeah. obviously, but it, Universe of Energy is massive. Um, so the attraction was sponsored by MetLife, which is the holding company of the Metropolitan Life Insurance Agency, which is one of the largest, if not the largest providers of insurance to Americans. Um, they uh, almost did a deal with Humana to sponsor the attraction, um, but uh, I think Humana wanted to go more insurancy that Disney felt comfortable with. And so that they wanted just to never sell you out. insurance while you were on the <laughs> like, Right. They had someone, they would hand you stuff and you could sign it like while you were on Body Wars. Yeah. We're on a roller coaster that says, do not ride. Do you want to sign here for your life? It's a great looking kid you got here. Sports say, have your mom and dad planned for your future? Right. Are you covered in case of an accident? What happens if dad gets hit by a semi truck next week? Yeah, we rerouted Avenue of the Stars. He could get hit. <laughs> um, so, uh, what I didn't realize until I started doing this is so that MetLife was actually a privately held company from its inception until the year 2000. So mm. it was not public uh, during the time. It was it was a private firm, um, and they own lots of subsidiaries, which include banks and security investment firms. And the reason I bring that up is because there is a tie-in here between some other things that were was going on at the same time. So um, so while this is getting built. Um, so is the dolphin and swan. And uh, MetLife has, and still has, a subsidiary called MetLife Investments. Uh, now MetLife, besides doing all the health insurance stuff, has also been a provider of commercial real estate loans for decades. They actually financed the Empire State Building's construction in 1929, and they also provided a chunk of the capital for the building of the Rockefeller Center in New York. Mm. So. While they were sponsoring Wonders of Life at Met, uh, Wonders of Life at Epcot, uh, MetLife Investment Management and Tishman Realty formed a partnership for the ownership of the Swan and Dolphin hotels in the Epcot Resort area. So uh, they put up the money. Uh, MetLife put up the money. Tishman did the construction on it, as as we know, um, and then they actually still own those hotels today. They hired Weston hotels and resorts to operate the Swan and the Sheraton Corporation to operate the Dolphin, but they owned and continue to own those hotels. And now they are also the owners of the new Swan Reserve Hotel, um, which I had no idea until I started digging into this. 
Um, they also have a partnership with Lowe's Hotels and Resorts, NBC Universal, and Hard Rock International, and they provided the money to build Portofino Bay, Hard Rock, and Royal Pacific at uh, Universal, and just ponied up another $500 million to renovate them in 2018. One of the reasons that they ended up uh, becoming a sponsor for the pavilion itself was because um, because of this investment opportunity with the hotels as well. So they kind of got a package deal uh, with Eisner there. Um, it was almost called the human dynamic. That was the last kind of name that they went with. Um, but the Wonders of Life name actually came from MetLife CEO, John Creedon. And uh, he also named the ride Body Wars, which I think we talked about in the last episode and had a bunch of different names. It was called the Incredible Journey Within probably, you know, did some other, some other ideas too. Um, he actually retired from MetLife as the president and CEO shortly before the pavilion opened. He's also known for licensing the Peanuts characters to promote the brand in 1985. Uh, and he did that when he assumed the CEO role. And he also oversaw the MetLife blimp program, which became, which began in 1987. So um, you Probably, I don't know, you may or may not recall, you know, besides the Goodyear blimp, like during the 1980s and the 1990s, there was also the MetLife blimp. Yes. Um, so their first blimp, the Snoopy one, was launched in 1987, followed by the Snoopy 2 in 94. And the Snoopy J, which is in Japan, uh, they did that in 2010. And they provided uh, aerial TV coverage mostly for golf tournaments where the Goodyear blimp did NFL things. Now, as time went on, they did other events. And I, th I think there's still MetLife blimps. And I think you can actually like write them and say like, hey, we'd like to like you to have a MetLife blimp at this event. And like, maybe they'll they'll send it. Okay, we'll do that next year. Yeah, we're on it. Retro we're Magic. On it. Yeah, but, but uh, as we'll see, the MetLife blimp actually ends up playing a role in Wonders of Life. And Snoopy is a non-Disney IP character that ends up appearing within this pavilion because of that um so cool and speaking of the metlife blimp uh that was actually it was actually at the opening ceremonies too so if you go back and watch the video from their opening ceremonies they had the, the real metlife blimp up in the air behind the pavilion uh as a backdrop element as well so besides <laughs> the dome uh there were also two other elements outside as you would walk through this meandering path that that um and that we were talking about there was a you know water feature and on top of that water feature, you know, there were two, there was a water feature on two sides of the, the path that you went down. And there was a arched metal sign that said Wonders of Life presented by Metropolitan Life underneath it. And then there was also a giant 94 foot tall DNA sculpture that represented DNA. Yeah, um, that thing was so cool. It and was. I think it was forced perspective too, if I recall correctly, that it, it did get, get smaller. As yeah. It, yeah. As it went taller to give you that idea, but it, it was really neat because it get like, you don't realize how small DNA is. And then the, for them to blow it up, like a tower was really, really cool. And look, deoxyribonucleic acid. We all learned what DNA was. It's like, you see that and you know what you're headed into. Right. It does really set you up for the idea that you're going to be learning about like life, life yeah. science. Right. And yeah. this was before DNA went mainstream with Jurassic park. Let's be honest. I mean, that's right. Wasn't you're right. It'd be yes. Jurassic park was like 94. So Dino DNA. Yeah. Mr. DNA, the whole thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
That's again, these Disney people are really on the cutting edge. There's a point in E.T. where they scream that E.T.'s got DNA when they're when they're fight, you know, when they're when the hospital people, all the scientists have invaded oh, the, the yeah, house. Yeah. Another Spielberg uh, movie. Yeah. There you go. Well, that's maybe that's the common thread. You know. DNA. It's in the DNA of all the Spielberg movies. <laughs> right. Um, so I think this is a good opportunity for us to talk about something about that that arched entranceway. Yeah. That we um, have been percolating on in a long time. And as for years, as Brian has talked about the the nerd factor here. Uh oh is very high. It's going to eleven right now. So <laughs> Now, can I state what I know about this? You want to set the stage, JT? I'm just going to tell you what sure. I what I told people forever. Sure. I mean, you know, I'd pull up to Magic Kingdom. I, you know, uh, you know, there's a big archway. It reminds me of uh, Wally World. You pull up, it says Magic Kingdom at the toll plaza. Mm-hmm. There, big, huge archway. Even when I ran through it at the Disney Marathon, I looked over and I said, you know, that used to be from Wonders of Life, the archway that spanned the walkway to going to wonder of life. And I said, what's wonders of life. And I said, well, funny, you should say, and then it went on and on, but uh, that it moved over to there. That's what we were told. That's Mm -hmm. what they said. Well, there are, I don't want to call them urban legends. There are incorrect things that are believed to be true by the person who first speaks them, presumably. Right. The one I always use because of my weird interests is you will read every year on President's Day or anything about Richard Nixon that he used to eat cottage cheese with ketchup on it every day. And it was printed one time in one column in one article in like 1969. And from that point forward, it's been taken as fact. Like the Walt ice cream thing when you're on the tour. Walt ice cream every night. That's why the ice cream faces the castle. Right. When in reality... He never, ever once in his life ate cottage cheese with ketchup. I've, you know, I've read enough books by White House chefs and people who were around him and people who lived with him and his daughters. And I, never happened. Uh, people who are my age uh, may remember there was a big controversy early in Bill Clinton's presidency that he got a two hundred dollar haircut on the runway in Los Angeles International Airport <laughs> from a from a from a barber named Cressa. No, it never happened. It never happened, but there was like a story one day that this is that the plane sat there. He did get a haircut. It didn't cost two hundred. Like, a, but it was like it never happened. And so you read like these books years afterwards. It never, but people still think it happened. Yep. So one book, one story was told that this arch was taken from Wonders of Life and moved to Magic Kingdom. And for the past 15, 20 years, people have been repeating this story that it happened. And Howard. And uh, Todd put on their their spelunking hats <laughs> and pulled out their their uh, microcomputers and their aerial photographs and uh, they're here tonight to dispel everyone of a great yeah. myth. We're gonna we're gonna set things straight. So really, what is really funny is I went back in time in our conversation about this and Brian, you had made the comment. I assure you, the arch was reused. Was your comment? Yeah. Right? He did because it was somewhere. Yeah, because I had a book. I had a book. book. It's, it's right here in the book. Exactly. I think exactly. I went and got the book and read it to you. JT says, I'm not going to argue with you, but the rods don't match. And he also said, JT, we've discussed less important topics. Because <laughs> so, like, it was right. like it was going to be dead. And then it yeah. was like, uh, you know. Right, let's... right. Should we resurrect? Okay. 
let's first talk a little bit about something called space trusses, and then we're going to get into the super geek stuck stuff here. A space truss is a way of constructing much like a tinker toy or an erector set where you have a, a, a beam of length that then kind of on each end comes to a point like a pencil, but has a threaded end and they screw into balls. And these balls have different holes in them with different angles. And essentially by putting them together, you can create any shape and structure you want. So you're only limited by, you know, these connectors and the rods and the lengths and the angles that you can screw into the balls and all that stuff. So uh, there's a, a lot here. So here's what we did first. So here's what we did. We, we got two straight on photos of both arches, the one at the Toll Plaza for the Magic Kingdom and the one at the Wonders of Life. That was our first start. Okay. In the Toll Plaza one, I think is funny because like that, it was almost like somebody was stuck in traffic or leaning out the car or like, you know, trying to get the whole thing at yeah. ground level, right? Like, And they pretty- did a really good job of it. Yeah. So, but what we don't know is the size, right? So here's what's cool. JT, you might know what the standard width of a traffic light is, right? Because there's stoplights above the toll booth. There are, but didn't we do the car Oh, we're going to get there. So okay. they're 12 inch, they're 12 inches in diameter. So we tested this theory of size by lining them up against the back of the Impala and the Impala was 72 inches wide and the car length was nearly exactly six traffic lights wide width of the car, which is 72 inches. So we knew there was some margin of error because the car was closer to the camera. So since we know that we can count the number of pixels, the lights are wide in the photo and then come up with a ratio of pixels to inches. And that ratio turns out to be 1.83 for those that are keeping track. I sure. hope you're all following along. The oh, it's going to get deeper. The lengths they'll go to to prove yes. me wrong. Yeah. Just so you know. We love 1. you. 1.83. 1.83. <laughs> 1. So 21 gigawatts. <laughs> so there's also a stop sign there. A stop sign is a standard 30-inch inch width. And when you use that ratio, it comes out to 28.4. So we're close, but... The stop signs at a different different depth and the photo might be on a slight angle. So we're pretty There could close. be some aberration because of lenses Ex- and whatnot. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Sure. So if you take the license plate, the standard width of license plate, it comes in nearly dead on with that 1.83. So with the ratio confirmed, we then focus on the arch itself. We compute that that with the pixels and all the stuff that we know, that, the, that it's a measured length of 83 feet wide and the beams are 8.3 feet long. But because they're not on the same plane in an angle, it doesn't match to what the Google Maps and Florida Department of Transportation maps have. When you measure both, it says the length of the sign here at the toll plaza is 70 feet wide. So we're off by 13 feet. So I'm like, okay, how do we figure this out? Well, if we know it's 70 feet wide, we can correct our ratio for the photo just for the stop sign because we know it's 30 inches. And if we adjust that, and then measure the pixels for the beams and the width. And then guess what? We get 70 feet in the photo, and then we can figure out the length of the beams at seven inch, seven feet long. And from the Florida, we can deter, uh, Florida Department of Transportation map, we can actually determine that they're three feet deep. That's okay. So now we know, confirmed. It's, and you're like, why, why are you doing this? Why is it third and seven feet and three feet? We'll get to that. So let's turn attention to Wonders of Life. We use the same theory here. We identify a light bollard, which is one of those that four and a half feet tall. They have the light at the top. They're just round and they, the light comes on at night. Um, they're normally eight inches in diameter. So we use the ratios and the math and all this stuff again. 
And it tells us that the width of the sign is 54 feet and the beams are 4.36 feet. Seems pretty good. So to verify that, we go over to our DOT aerial survey, survey from 1990 where we can measure the width of the sign, but the tool doesn't measure in feet. It only measures in pixels. Uh. So what do I do? Well, if I can measure the rear of the Wonders of Life building on Google Maps, because the rear of the Wonders of Life building hasn't changed. So now I know the length of Wonders of Life building, and then I can convert it to pixels in the Florida DOT aerial survey, I can make a ratio. So I do that and I can compute the sign at being 54.7 feet long. What did I say it was from my original photo? 54. And I said the, the beams were 4.36 from my photo. Then using the ratio from Google Maps and DOT, the beams were com computed at 4.4. So we're with both measurements and both of these ways of doing it are bringing us this. Okay, so what does this all mean? Here's where it comes. Here's where the rubber hits the road. And this That's for JT because of the rubber, right? Yes. All right. Wonders of Life was made up of 186 beams, all the same length, 4.4 feet long for a total of 818 linear feet. The pole plaza is currently made up of 78 seven-foot beams to make both sides and 42 smaller three-foot beams to connect the sides to each of the other. And that for a total of 672 linear feet. So everybody's going, oh, well, there was more linear feet in Wonders Alive, so they must have been able to do it. Okay, you could just cut the beams, right? Well, hang on. Assuming they used 42 of the smaller beams from Wonder of Life to make the three-foot beams, that leaves us with about 144 Wonders of Life beams left, right? Yeah. They could have cut and welded the remaining two beams together to get the seven-foot beams. But there were 78 seven-foot beams, so they need 156, but we just used 42 of them, so we're short by 12. Not enough beams, right? Well, there were 12 more below the sign that held the MetLife sign <laughs> that were there. So you actually had enough beams to do this. Could this have all been cut and welded, sanding, painting? And why did you do a different design? Why did you use different balls to connect them? And why wouldn't you have just, if you had that arc sitting there, why wouldn't you have just picked it up and put it on top of the toll plaza, right? That seems like a lot of work, okay? If anybody is out there and not convinced yet, here's more nails in the coffin. I'll tell you, Todd, I was convinced one way before we started. Now I'm going back to thinking they redid it. I'm so confused now. Explain <laughs> this to me. <laughs> so doing some more math, I compute the angle subtended, which is basically the angle of an arc and all that math stuff. It was 87 degrees for one of the lives, 66 for toll plaza. They have a different angle, different radius. And for what it's worth, the toll plaza is rigged and braced differently. The wonders of life had beams going diagonal with connecting faces. The toll plaza sign uses cables. Wonders of life was made up of 15 cubes, or if you want to look at it differently, seven trapezoids and two wedges. The toll plaza is 10 trapezoids or 20 triangles. They're, and they're only rectangular on the side. So. Space truss balls have six connections for Wonders of Life, five connections in the Toll Plaza. There's 87 connecting faces on the Wonders of Life versus 66 for the Toll Plaza. Some are, the Toll Plaza is 35 degree angle. The Wonder of Life beams are attached at 45. There's fractions in my subtraction, and X don't equal Y, but my homework is bound to multiply. Math sucks. Check.
Facebook. I hate this stuff so much. And the arch uh, left wonders of life between August 91st and September 28th, 1991, and it didn't appear at the Pole Plaza until what we think about 1994, so a three-year span. I don't know, guys. Do you need anything else to tell you? They are not the same. I'm sorry to say, no company would let an arch sit there, take it apart, use new balls, do a different angle. They are two completely different projects built at completely different times with different size pipes. So there you have it for the seven of you still listening. Yep. They're there. They're listening. <laughs> they're nodding. And they're going, they're, they're applauding with great. I, I think just from, if, if your whole idea is we're going to reuse this because it's economical, but yeah. you have to cut it apart, re-weld it and change all like, it's no longer economical. Just order no. a new one. No, it's just paint just, shop, I, the powder coating. The I mean, that's, that's all. The, and the then faces are different. I mean, <laughs> all, you don't even have to, you can look at the wonders of life and go, that's all made up of squares and triangles. The other ones, yeah. triangles and trapezoids. It's two different geometric shapes completely. Not to mention the difference of everything else we yeah. pointed out. Yeah. Makes no sense whatsoever. And, and and the conversation started from JT going, I don't know. It doesn't look like it. <laughs> we, we've it investigated look, more I don't, important I don't know things. if I buy it. And the quick, and the quick glance. Is... It's it's the it's the white shrewd at Benny Hanum. Nah, still thinking the carries a better knife. Like you know. Just like... <laughs> now, anybody who want to take me up on it, go ahead. I I'd love to. If somebody wants to dispute this, you can do as much work as you want. Um, I'll but, tell you, I am waiting for somebody in Imagineering or somewhere uh, to ops to call us and be like, nah, it's the same one. That, but doesn't that inevitably happen now? Like some guy yeah. or gal on Twitter is like, nah, I worked on that project. Uh, we had it fabricated. It's such and such a steel yard. And yeah, exactly. You should talk um, to Jim so-and-so. He designed it and uh, Mike so-and-so organized its installation. And uh, here's their phone number. I'm going to throw in one other really quick thing, too. Wonders of Life was held up by two concrete sections, right? They had two concrete pillars on each end that it was bolted down to. Oh, the, the it was the holding sign, a sign, not the whole place, yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> okay. If you look carefully, I couldn't confirm the width of the beams. You have to make sure your toll plaza could hold that weight. And if that arch is into concrete like that with big footings, there's a potential that that arch might not have survived on top of the toll plaza at or the, all. Or the toll plaza wouldn't have survived. It, exactly. Yeah, the arch would have just watered down. So what you needed was a, a much, much lighter uh, way of putting an arch on top of it. Um, and actually, if you, if you look carefully at the toll plaza, this is what's really interesting. The toll plaza ends that hold the arch actually come down from about 10 feet, 5, 10 feet in and are directly over two of the booths themselves so that the weight is coming down through those booths and then the center of it is perfectly over another booth. So the three ways of holding up that arch are not, not like Wonders of Life where you only had two ends. There's three pillars holding it up because that weight has to be transferred through the pillars, through the toll booth uh, below it, uh, the actual booth. So there you have it, different arch, so my next question was then, why did they take this down? Because it was a cool arch. Did we find out the reason? <laughs> I, I believe we did find out the reason, JT. So I was I was able to contact uh, Imagineer Jim Shule, who's very active on Twitter and seems to remember an awful lot about an awful lot of things during his tenure there. And he told me that to the best of his knowledge, um, the reason it got removed is that they discovered that the service vehicles 
that get used around that area could not pass underneath the arch in order to trim trees or do things like that. And so that arch was removed because they, they couldn't actually use the, the normal stuff that they use around the park. Uh, to, they couldn't get access underneath it. It was, it was too low. Uh, and yeah, they had only sent Nabby up there with a string and a washer to check that ahead of time. Right, it would right. be fine. <laughs> and, and so they replaced it with a new sign, a single sign on the one side uh, with fiber optics inside that it, I don't know how many people notice this at night, but the, the new sign, which was stacked, it's like in the nighttime, it had a bunch of little fiber optic oh, yeah, dots yeah, it twinkled behind it. it. Really that twinkled. Neat. Yeah. It was very cool. The original uh-huh. site w- was kind of boring too, and and with the drop down of Wonders of uh, where it said Metropolitan Life, uh, that that brought the height down. Um, give me some time; I can compute the yeah, distance there. A truck w- could have gotten under, but uh, <laughs> but that would uh, be interesting. Yeah. That would dispel that rumor of how tall it is if that was. And I asked how I said, uh, "Are you sure they didn't take it down for like hurricane prep or you know something like that?" And we, it's how check the weather. For, oh gosh, uh, yeah, we went and looked at all the hurricanes and tornadoes that had been through that area, and we who who to oh you Todd you actually took it you took your trip like uh like a week and a half or so after they removed it probably correct yeah. correct <laughs> and it was uh mark it's like twenty thousand leagues you missed that. yeah i just missed it but oh, mark marcusi who has given us a number of different videos uh we went um through his and he found it uh we, we narrowed it down to just about august right is what we had yeah. done and then we were able to move it a little further uh, with with the John Lithgow, we figured out the date that he was there. Um, so a thanks to uh, Mark Marcusi there too, and um, he has a neat YouTube by the way called Worldscape Scenery. So check that check that out. But uh, we really appreciate his uh, his films because you never know anything you guys give to us out there. You never know when we're going to pull it out of the maybe you can help scour. solve a mystery. That's right, so, unsolved mystery. But we now have an exact date that the arch was removed sometime between September and August of uh 1991 well it was gone for lithgo on what september 28th right that's that's what the day we figured out that he was filming from the you're right you're right august september so yeah september 28th it was definitely it was definitely definitely gone gone (laughs) and uh yeah so it was was kind of kind of neat to figure that all out he said he'll come and do the show if you take down that crazy arch i don't like it (laughs) i'm gonna hit my head i'm so tall (laughs) No, actually, gentlemen, if you if you want, I'll I'll put the picture in the chat. Yeah, this is a photo pre-opening of Wonders of Life. There's a a man who you know looks five ten-ish standing underneath the arch. The Wonders of Life sign is not on it yet, uh, and that came down quite significantly. Uh, it was it came down pretty far, so you can only imagine. There's no way you're ever gonna get a, a truck through this at all. Oh yeah, that is definitely low. Look at oh, it's a little. Now, there, there, the bubbler fountain there. Yep, that's. I love is that, that the old? Is that the new? Uh, the post for the new sign right there. Uh, did they yes. reuse the bubbler? They, <laughs> they reused they one re- of them, right? Yeah. Yep, they reused the bubbler, and I think on the other side there was some kind of goodbye sign. I'm uh, trying to. Re- I'm trying to. Re- yeah, re- it may have said something on the way out. Yeah. I want to jump in that thing. <laughs> Thank you, or something like that. That would have been a. It would have been like a hot tub, right? Probably five, six feet across. You could just. <laughs> Up in there is, is, uh, again. <laughs> give me more time, and I'll be able to figure out the width. I'll use that baller. This, uh, to, to this photo out. you shared, which we'll put in the show notes. It's great. Uh, it looks like they're skywriting. Jesus loves you up there. That's <laughs> exactly. Eat, eat, eat it, Rosies. 
Is that what that's supposed to say? No. Oh, no. I think it does say Church Street. I think that. Oh, is it Church Street? Oh, it's the ST yeah. for, that's for the, yeah. Yep, yep. That's that was always they would skywrite for Church Street Station or Rosie O'Grady's or. What a thing! All right. So now, that, so now that we've been outside of the building, I yeah, guess maybe we should start. You know, let's meander up, me, meander inside of the building. Uh, and oh, I mean, one thing that I think. You, as we start to approach, you you start to hear some music. like honey i shrunk the kids movie set adventure and tomorrowland it's like wonders of life was dominated by a new age soundtrack and this place is peak 90s too right so it fits right in this is it does oh it's just because the idea the idea of like being natural and like yeah it was perfect for new age music artists like check field and yanni and uh david benoit and of course, David Lance and Paul Spear behind the waterfall and, and Ray Lynch's celestial soda pop. <laughs> what, what I loved about these pavilions, and you still do, because you still have this and what, living with the land and stuff. Mm-hmm. You get to go into a place and enter the environment. And it's not just like Cedar Point Six Flags ride outside to get in line to the ride. Like you go in and it's like air conditioned. You already kind of enter it before you decide what to do. It's, it's yeah. I, I think it really, I think that's one of the reasons I really like the land uh, to this day, not not just because, you know, there's some cool rides in it, but it, it was an escape. You felt secure and you got away from the everyday hustle and bustle. You kind of forgot all the stuff going outside. And really the only place is, what uh, land is really the only place left that can give you that. Mouse gear doesn't give me a or whatever the hell they call it, <laughs> it's whatever it is. It doesn't give me a feeling of of calm. Um, but you had this. You had all the communicors. You had you know wonders of life, and those were two very unique pavilions on either side that had that exact thing. Yeah, I was. We were talking about this on on Twitter with some people um, this week, and uh, there was kind of this uh, this idea of like uh, large interior spaces. Mm-hmm. in hotels and malls and things in the 1970s and the 1980s they're like i i'd like the only way i can kind of think to describe like the land and wonders they're almost like cathedral like spaces yeah you come in there's the very high ceilings it's like very grand and it's like and, the uh, the holodome concept that was and brian yeah. will speak to that here i'm sure in a second they you'd go into those and i, I would see them as a kid like they were kind of on their way out but it'd be like this you your, your room balcony would be you'd have a balcony but it would be inside and then uh it reminds me like the uh mco hotel and then you uh you'd look out your balcony you'd see the pool the ping pong table the you know the restaurant that ate out, sure, outside sure. but wasn't really outside even though it had a fake or real tree in there just that that kind of open space almost like a mall type feel yeah right yeah yeah these these were i mean that was kind of a unique i think epcot thing of just these gigantic spaces for you to to walk through when you get it you see this great building on the outside and then you walk up and then suddenly there's this enormous mm-hmm. space on the inside as well Well, you know it's, maybe that goes back to the dome because you know i was looking at some of the old original 
inside uh, the, through the human body that they had originally thought that was a round building too. But you're, it's a really good point that you, you walked up, you didn't know what to expect. And because it just was this subdued, low level dome, you went in, oh my gosh, you know. Uh, but how you make a really good point. I, I sent you guys a photo of, we got to have to put a lot of photos in the show notes for this one, but it, it looks like any 90s mall. I mean, teal and pink and purple and street lights. Yeah, gra- you know, the, that lattice work in the back that's all square. I mean, and such such a big departure from everything else yes. at Epcot, you know, that was those late 70s, early 80s browns and tans. And there's no theming to it. Oranges. Really. And, you know, now it's this, yeah, late 90s mall food court. Because it was a little theme. circusy almost, though, too, right? I mean, you had t- pseudo tents. It was a real yeah, right. That was mall versus. Well, it was like a midway. It was a midway. It was theme. called fitness fair. So fitness yeah, fair. it was there you go. supposed to be like a fair, absolutely. And the other thing that was unusual is that it had live plants in it. So there yes. were trees and bushes. And I remember, you know, thinking back now about Raleigh telling us about the land and how you know John Hench had a conniption fit because, you know, all the plants would have to be plastic inside of the pavilion. It's like yeah. No, they. I think this is the only one that I can think of where they actually had more than just a couple of potted plants here and there inside. It's like there was landscaping. We were producing oxygen. Yeah, inside that building. So that yeah, was had kind natural, of different. natural skylights above, basically almost like yeah. uh, the Astrodome style, like with that. Uh, you know, it wasn't yeah. glass, but it that was like a cap. white. Yeah. Right. It Did was it very lit. I mean, besides the ceiling, the whole front part of it was also see-through too, which is actually hilarious because if they do the play thing, it's like they had to cover all that up because it's all projection based. So <laughs> a building that was designed largely to let in natural light, just like they kind of had to do with Communicore when they turned it into interventions, they have to black out all the windows first. <laughs> um, so uh, when you would walk up to it, yeah, uh, the first thing that you would pass by actually actually it's all a little side story uh when i first saw wonders of life when i got to go and i, I think dave ensign and i went i think it maybe wasn't until J- january of um of the opening year so i don't think we got to go in october when it opened i think we only got to go in january um I walked up and we went past the Wonders of Life signs and I noticed there was no pavilion logo. All of the other pavilion hats. It didn't have the icon. Mm. And and so I actually wrote a letter. I remember I had an issue of the Disney News uh, that was all about the Wonders of Life. And it mentioned in it that Barry Braverman was the producer for that pavilion. And so I only had the Flower Street address. So I actually wrote a letter to Barry Braverman <laughs> uh, at Flower at the Flower Street address asking, where's the logo? All the other pavilions have logos. This needs a logo too. And it took months to get a reply because he was still in Florida. So they actually mailed the letter from WD, <laughs> from WED or WDI in California to a trailer in Florida. And then he wrote me back the response, uh, which I received, I think, six or eight months later saying, hey, thanks for noticing it, but we're already working on this <laughs> and and look for it shortly. So, uh, so of, co- it- of course, we had a logo planned. It has nothing to do with your letter. <laughs> you wrote that letter. I beat it, punk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and uh, Norm had re- was retiring when uh, when this was being done. 
So, so Norman and Wade did not get to design the Wonders of Life logo. Uh, it had to go to um, someone else. Did Norm confirm that with us? Oh, well, actually, the designer of the logo has it on her portfolio site. Oh, okay. So uh, so we know exactly who it is. Um, so it was actually designed by Julie Rogge, R-O-G-G-E. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but she, she actually ended up doing the Wonders of Life logo. And it's a little bit different from the other ones. The other ones have a lot of circle, circular shapes. And as, as you may recall, uh, Wonders of Life is, is kind of a take on that Da Vinci like human with the spread arms and the spread legs. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, so it's a circle with the human in it and then a uh, Pentagon surrounding the person. Uh, and they said, the symbol incorporates a human figure with the structure of the carbon ring as carbon is one of the most basic elements of human life. Um, I thought it looked like the Chrysler logo from a distance. It very much <laughs> did, you know. So, which I thought was like, okay, maybe not quite as successful, but, but it finally, it finally did get a logo. And I think it, it showed up eventually on, uh, on Centorium was the first place that I actually saw it used. And then, um, and then eventually it ended up on the costumes of the cast members, but they never did actually like place a lit version of the logo, like in the signs outside of it, it just never happened. And then the sign itself like changed two or three times, like over the course of its sponsorship, even by MetLife. So, um, so anyways, you'd come in, you'd pass the sign, you'd kind of walk down this indoor outdoor hallway with triangles, triangle windows where you could kind of look in the pavilion and get a little bit of a preview as you kind of walked around that, that outside radius. And then you would, you would come in actually up on like maybe the second floor. Does that seem... I don't want to say third floor, but maybe the second floor. Yeah, I would say um, that because there's a little ramp you would walk down then. Right. Yeah. And then you you would walk down this ramp with sort of like bromelades. Well, the, first there was a, it's interesting, you, there was kind of like an, an overlook with a map, a sort of a dimensional map in the center. And you could actually look out and kind of see where all of the different things were. Uh, and then look at this map to reference like, oh, Body Wars is over in that corner and, you know, Cranium Command is over in this corner. And from this like overhead view, you can actually get a pretty good feel for the layout of the pavilion. Yeah, which... it had, you, you, yeah you could kind of because you, you were above as you came in. And it was if I remember it was a choose your own adventure to kind of go left or right. 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 Kind of like the land. The land had that same. I think they had a. One, yeah, once you got down, but they did try to direct traffic, uh, even though there wasn't like a person there, there were directional signs at the tops and bottoms of the ramps to try and send like the people exiting to the left mm. and the people coming in, come down from the right. It's still a problem in the land to this day. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that because, oh my gosh, when that first, when Wonders opened in 89 through 90 and probably even into 91, it was so busy because it was the one new thing. You know, until Interventions opened, it was the one new thing that was there. So it was a madhouse. Plus, plus it had Body Wars, which was a thrill attraction, and Epcot's only real thrill attraction compared to Maelstrom. So it was very, very busy at first. 
That's um, funny uh, how you said about that. You'd stand there. It reminds me of the Mexico Pavilion when you walk in, like yeah, you're, you're kind yeah. of vertical there. And I'm looking at these maps because I had a weird memory of that. You'd walk up and it was like a circle, like pizza pie, pizza pan style circle map because it's a dome. Makes right. sense. They don't have a square there. They have a circle. But as I search for these, I'm actually seeing uh, food and wine maps. So I'm wondering if they just took a decal and laid it over top of the old yeah. one every time they got a new whatever. Think, because there, yeah. there's there's like two versions of Wonders of Life. One is very basic. And then another is almost like a three-dimensional purple and teal with like a white LED trim around each little area. But very, very uh, fitting. For JT, the it's like your car registration every year on the license plate. If you yeah. peel them off, you can see what happened the year before. <laughs> but you, you do like the, the the lazy people. We just just lay them right on top. Don't peel the old one off. Just, exactly. just get it real thick before you get that next plate. Oh, uh, that's funny. And and so yeah, as you said, Todd, you'd you'd go down these ramps down to mm -hmm. the you know kind of best bromelides and and get down to the the first floor. And the funny thing is, like, once you get down to the first floor, it was almost impossible to find your way around there. It was, you know, it's like walking through a trade show because there's so much stuff <laughs> piled on other things. It's like, as as we'll talk about, it's like they had to redo stuff like a couple of times to get people into Cranium Command and Body Wars. And I even remember like the second and third time I went and visited and I'd want to go to Body Wars. It's like I couldn't yeah. figure out where the hell the entrance was. It's like you... <laughs> you kind of would walk around the outside and look up at the mural and say, okay, it must be close. Cause I see the words that say body wars. So you walk up to that and you're like, no, the entrance isn't underneath the words that say body wars. Where is it? And then you keep walking and there's all this, you know, coach's corner and all this stuff getting, and finally you're like, you see this, you see this like dingy hallway off in the distance. You're like, Oh, <laughs> that's it. I have to go down to that thing. So, uh, so it, it was a little, you know, chaotic when you were down there, but part of that is there was just so much stuff to see. Um, so, so tonight we're going to talk about, uh, all the stuff that you could see on the floor when, as you were walking around and I know all of us got to experience this and I'm sure a ton of people who are listening got to hear. So, so we're going to walk through, uh, primarily fitness fair tonight and the fitness fairgrounds is basically everything that was down on the floor with the exception of like body wars and cranium command and like some shops and restaurants. So there was this idea of the fair kind of pulled from Rolly's idea of a, of a midway, you know, the midway of life, they kind of converted that to the fair look. And, and that's why, you know, all around the outside edge of the, of the inside, there were kind of like these shapes that represented like tents and buildings and tons of things had flags on them. And it was, supposed to be um you know kind of exciting and even some of the the renderings uh show things almost like circus tents so they were really going for that kind of a uh, fair style look but as you guys said this this is like if you want to take 1989 and put it in like a wrapped up package of like what did that era look like yeah dude it's wonders of life it's like it is. The, the colors the geometric oh. shapes it's like it is it is the most late 80s thing in the world uh, it is unbelievable it is such a and was such a time capsule and still is in a way when you go in what's left of it that it's been tamed uh quite a bit uh, but it's like every shopping mall hell from the mid 80s <laughs> you know i mean i remember we had one growing up the bridgewater commons 
and you thought it was the coolest design place and purple and te- purple and teal by the way if for those younger listeners from about 88 to 94 that was it like purple and teal were used that tremendously. yellow that shade of yellow yeah was what is wilderness offsetting? lodge by the way it's that purple and that yellow when you think about their logo um wilderness lodge when it opened it's i mean it looks it's timeless the way they did it but that opened the peak of this and there was the, the font was popular so i'm digressing but yes how peak 80s and early 90s by far yeah. still still can't be beat and uh you know when it opened they actually had like um sweatshirts with a different, not even the Wonders of Life logo, just like the dome, like the dome was it. Like, I think one of the reasons that they, did, they didn't do the logo is because they thought the dome and the DNA would be the thing that represented the pavilion. Mm. Um, it was it was over the, that was what was on the cast costumes. How can you please design one like that? It looks exactly like that, but underneath of it, put there's no place like dome. <laughs> that's the shirt I want. The wonders of life across the top, and the, the dome is there's no place like dome. I will 100% do that for you. <laughs> I have I have just enough reference, I think, to be able to reproduce what now, that Now, every like. time I drive past a dome, anytime I do the Brian quote, I wonder what's going on in that dome yeah, over there. What's going on over there? <laughs> what's happening under that dome? So if you came down the ramp and kind of headed off to your right, um, we're going to go in the outside perimeter. So today we're not going to talk about goofy about health and, and anatomical players. We'll do that another time. We're going to, we're going to talk about kind of that outer ring because there were so many exhibits. I mean, it was like a science fair on its own uh, there. And we've talked about how, you know, your local science, you know, museum has become kind of like what Epcot was. And like that was in full effect for, for sure. Uh, right here. Yeah. So, as, as you came off and headed to the right, the very first thing that you saw was this tall pillar with oversized sunglasses with a bunch of like spinning lenses and this rotating sign on top that said Sensory Funhouse. And so I'm going to walk you through each exhibit and, and talk about what it had and, and uh, what it was showing. Because uh, this was a whole, a whole thing about like playing with your senses and uh, fooling your senses. So uh, the first thing was called Curiouser and Curiouser. And it had a spinning disc with a spiral on it. So you, were, you would look at that disc and then it would stop. And then you would look at an adjacent picture on the display of Alice in Wonderland. And when the disc was spinning clockwise, Alice would look like she was getting bigger uh, because your, your eyes would sort of get accustomed to that spinning pattern. And then you, when you look at something still, it kind of holds that spinning in your brain and it gives the illusion that that Alice was getting bigger. If the disc was turning counterclockwise, then she would appear to shrink. And I'm wondering if maybe this pavilion was really the first one to integrate IP in a big way. Because not only did you have things like Alice in here, you had Goofy doing meet and greets in that dome all the time. Uh, under the auspices of Sport Goofy, which was, I think, like a 1984, 1985 uh, special. But Goofy was was all over that place. In fact, he was even in the opening ceremony. So this this could be the first place where, where Disney IP really got put in, into the pavilion in an integral way. Correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know this beats Lion King 
you know, the uh, the circle of life. Oh yeah, by five years. So this 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 could be the first one that that kind of opened up the uh, the door for us. Then there was another one called Discolor. So it was a spinning disc with black and white lines. Uh, this this is called a Benham's disc, and it creates the illusion of color. So the cones in your eyes, um, each color in your eye, you know, the, you have those cones, there's rods and cones. Well, the cones perceive color. So there's one that does red, there's one that does green, and there's one that does blue. They actually fire and refresh at slightly different rates. So when this disc is spinning really fast, uh, when a white area shows up, it sort of activates all of those cones at the same time. But because they respond and fade in and out at different times, it actually tricks your brain into thinking that there's color there because like maybe the red and the green are firing at one time. And then so your brain is seeing like that combination of, of red and green as like a solid color. And then maybe another time it's like the blue and the red is going. And so you're getting a different color then. So it's really just mm. this black and white disc, but it was to fool you um, that, that that was going on. Um, there was also another spinning disc that just had kind of like transparent colors. And as it turned, they would make a third color when the transparencies would like overlay each other. But just, it was this big stack of like 1980s sunglasses, which was really something else. <laughs> um, and thanks to, uh, thanks to Tom Morris, I, he kind of tipped me off that uh, they were looking a lot at uh, things that were in the Exploratorium in San Francisco, which is an amazing hands-on science museum in San Francisco. And so a lot of the exhibits there I don't know if they worked with them or just took the ideas, but like some of this stuff like still exists today at the Exploratorium. Um, there was a, another one, which I think most people kind of looked over called the airbrush. And what it was, was um, kind of like a tilted panel uh, with a sort of a gray or black screen that faced you. And there was a slide projector uh, up at the top of it that would project down on this gray panel. And you would pick up a wand that was colored white and you would wave it back and forth between the gray screen and the slide projector. And what would happen is your, your eye has a tendency to hang on to an, an image for a fraction of a second. Uh, it's called persistence of vision. Uh, and it occurs because when light detectors in your eyes, the rods and the cones, they, they fire electrical signals to your brain even after a short pulse of light has come and gone. So there's people actually have like a little bit of a there's a little delay. One of the reasons that you can watch movies at 24 frames a second is because your brain actually like hangs on to the image on the screen in enough time for when the next image comes on, like it can replace it. So, you know, when we watch home movies that are shot at like 12 frames per second or 16 frames per second, that's slower than the refresh rate that your eyes have. So you, it looks jerky to us. But that, that 24 frames per second, it actually holds on to an image long enough that when the next image comes around to replace it, it looks mm. smooth. So your eyes actually have, your eyes and brain actually have a frame rate, just like a, a movie projector <laughs> or a television does. Um, and so you could take this rod and wave it back and forth in the air. And as, as the light would reflect off of that rod, if you did it fast enough, like if you even take your hand today and just like shake it in front of your eyes, it's like you yeah. see a little bit of a, a image of a ghost image of your hand. Well, um, when the light was projecting on that, it would actually like form the image that was on the slide projector it would sort of create a screen 
in the air and you could see the whole image that was being projected. So pretty cool. Um, there was another exhibit uh, and I don't, this one, I don't think had a name, um, but it was a uh, thormatrope, which uh, translates to a wonder turner. Um, these devices have been around since the mid 1800s. So if you picture this, it's like a flat metal rectangle attached to like a popsicle stick. Okay. Oh, and, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So one side had an image like uh, like Goofy's body. Oh, right. Yeah. And you would spin and, them. Right. And then the other side would have like his hands and feet. And when you would spin it, that persistence, persistence of vision effect would combine the two images together in order to make a whole image. Yeah. So the, the famous version of that is called the bird in the cage illusion. So there's a bird on one side and a cage on the other side. And when you spin it really fast, it looks like the bird is in the cage. Um, so this was really short lived. I think the exhibit was gone by 1995 for some reason. And they actually left like the whole corner. This was attached to that room, that crazy skewed room. It was on the outside. They, they left like the place where the exhibit pushed into there, <laughs> but just took out the exhibit. So it's funny. <laughs> we were talking to people and they're like, oh my God, I had no idea that this thing was there. <laughs> um, Room with a skew. So um, you have seen these. Um, Is that probably... a, wasn't that a James Bond movie? Room, oh, it's Room with a View. Room <laughs> with a skew. It's a view to a kill. View to a kill. Room with a skew. It's there. There was same. a there was a very famous movie called A Room with a View. Yes, that's right. It wasn't Bond, but I knew there was, was a movie. Yeah, yes. It was close. Um, so so this is an illusion uh, called an Ames room. Uh, this pretty at most science museums have these. Um, it's, it's a room that's been tilted and made in such a way where tall people look small and short people look tall, depending on where you stand within the room. Like at the Wonka Chocolate Factory. <laughs> yes, that's right. exactly. And so this illusion is made by taking, by you take a room and you kind of bend it and tilt it. And then you paint the walls and the floor in a certain way that when you stand in a certain spot, it, like, it actually looks like it's a perfectly squared up room. And because you're doing this, it's like the the person that's standing closer to you looks very tall, and the person that's standing farther back in the corner looks small when the the uh, when everything sort of like converges to the point where your eye is. Mm -hmm. um, now, typically, this illusion can only be viewed from the outside because you have to be in that one very particular spot in order to see it. So there. They had you walk up and look through like a keyhole into this. Oh, it's probably 10 by 20. It's a mm -hmm. fairly sizable room. Um, but they actually um, had a TV set inside of this one with a camera also located like right in the right spot. So you could stand inside of it and actually see yourself on the TV like with that illusion of the tall small. Um, but I think... Most people didn't get it. It's like when I watched home video of people walking through the room, I don't think they ever really, I don't think they understood what it was they were walking into because it, <laughs> it kind of does feel like a little bit more of like a fun house thing. Cause yeah. The yeah. First tilted. So, and then you probably have to follow, like, I paid all this money to come in here. We're in a freaking fun house. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I and, mean, uh, it's almost, you know, the stuff that was there was almost a little I don't want to say children's museum, but museum-esque, right? It, it's exploratorium, um, you know, learn about things. It wasn't your normal, but look, we're a few years away from interventions. We still got Communicore going on. It, it 
fit the bill in the other things that you had seen. Yeah. And the really, I think one of the, and we talk, I talk a lot about ride capacity, especially mm -hmm. at Epcot in those days. And we talk about how these, you know, the rides were like massive people eaters. All of the exhibit areas in Epcot were actually huge people eaters too. You think about how many people were inside a communicore at any given time doing yeah. all those activities and how many people were inside of wonders of life doing these things or shopping for a new car at the trans center. Right. You know? I mean, that's, that was taking, that was giving people things to do that wasn't yeah. outside. And like you, it's funny now. It's like all that stuff is gone and like, yeah, it's all missing now. Like you. Yeah. And nothing just, replaced it. Like it's, right. we, we spent, I'm going to guess two hours in wonders of life. Cause I mean, we did, body wars i waited in line for coach's corner we did the wonder cycles you know you ran through the sensory thing you did cr cranium command you did all those things that all took time yep absolutely and so so it's funny it's like i didn't really when they started to take out all the exhibit space within epcot i was like oh well you know nobody wants to sponsor anything anymore i guess it makes sense but like they really did take out oh my gosh probably another 10,000, 12,000 people an hour, like things for folks to do. So now, now for all you conspiracy people, theor theorists, uh, it's all free stuff. Uh, I mean, if they replaced with things that made money or things that didn't cost money to uptake, is that, is that part of it? Or is it just because people just don't do it anymore? I mean, the secret of Communicore was that, you know, everyone paid for stuff that wasn't Disney. So you know, once, yeah. once that appetite was lost for companies to do that, I, you know, I, I think that's kind of, what I mean, the, the, the seas is similar. Now you got at the end, you, you got all the stuff to look at and you can wander and right. there's a few attractions and things. So, I mean, that's, and that's always hopping. Yeah. And there's a little bit at, uh, you know, you ride test track probably more than I do, but like, do people do stuff like in the interactive stuff at test track afterwards or do they just walk out? Well, it's mostly uh, car show area now afterwards and a couple of photo ops and they did photo ops they they did try to integrate that thing where you make your own car and you can play with it you know on the on the various video games and stuff i mean if you you look at all the cars you do the photo ops you're in there for another 15 20 minutes at yeah. least the store uh -huh. and there's still the like the post show of um mission space where you can do the whatever this space activity oh yeah was. yeah where you walk through the the warehouse and then you end up in the, uh, the kids play zone or whatever yeah after you go through the ball pit then there was the yeah the... advanced training his advanced, lieutenant dan yeah, called it half the computers are broken don't send send, send, send a, a postcard send from mars from space yeah it never worked <laughs> i keep trying to send this postcard i forget which pavilion it was that i sent the that i sent the uh email postcard email. And it arrives six months later. <laughs> it literally, like, somebody got an email. I was like, hey, I just got your email from Epcot. I'm like, I haven't been in Epcot in, like, seven months. What are you talking about? And I was, I'm like, oh, my God, I sent that back in May. It was Somebody rebooted it to connect. Yeah, like, like, there must have been this giant queue. Well, even oh, we had the mailbox offline. When that, when did that, I mean, that closed fairly recently. All those, like, weird little things you'd wander through there, even, I mean, they weren't that good at the end, but it, it even killed, you know, 30 minutes of your day, people in there. I never got on that thing where you, that, that weird robot car building oh, with the roller. I yeah, never got yeah. on because there's always a line. Yeah. Well, and it was stuff to do when it rained outside, too. Yeah. That's Which very true. I don't know what you do at Epcot now if it rains, you know. That's called, soaked, the, that's, that's called the journey of water. It's not open yet. Yeah. It's, it's open. That's... Uh, so, all right. So 
um, Merlin's magic wand. So on the on the back side is there's a flat picture of Merlin from the Sword and Stone. More more IP. Uh, and he was holding a magic wand, which was actually a vertical line of LED lights. So there were two words above Merlin's head. There was Abra on the left side and Kadabra on the right. Oh. And so you would look, the instructions were to look back and forth between Abra and Kadabra. And when you did that, the, the persistence of vision effect would make pictures kind of appear where the wand was. So this is like the same idea as when you're holding the wand and wiggling it back and forth. Except this time the motion is from your eyes. So like things like hands would kind of appear to be floating up in the air. Um, and uh, what happens again, this is the same thing. So, you know, your visual system remembers light for up to a 10th of a second. And so that's long enough for you as you're going back and forth to like build that complete image in your mind. Um, now today you can, um, they have products like this. So they have these programmable LED things where you can wave the wand in the air and it'll like leave the image behind or there's ones that are on spinners. Oh, and yeah. so like you push the button and then like it spins and it leaves the light trail behind with... Didn't like Sharper Image sell those things of Rookstone on your desk and you could program the, the, yeah. the words for it to say oh, and stuff? And there were ones with clocks too, I think. Where oh, would, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd yeah, put yeah, the time yeah. in the air. I've right, seen them on right. the uh, the junk light up card at like parades and stuff too. People selling them, you know, you Look sit there with the uh, what's the infinite string? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look how ahead of the time they were. You know, they had rave before it was a thing. You know. Like, <laughs> um, then there was an entire wall that was just fun facts of things like spent a lot of time there. Like color blindness affects ten percent of all men, but only one percent of women. And humans are the only animals known to weep in response to emotional stress. So there were probably like eight or 10 different little fun facts that you could learn about. Mm. Um, they also had, hey, this this turned out to be a big thing later on because I think we've all seen this and I, I did not realize it was here. An exhibit called Color Crazy and it was a poster. It's one of those things where it has like colors, like the names of colors written out, but then some of them are in colors other than the color that they actually say so like it'll say blue red orange and then it'll start off where like blue is blue and red is red and orange is orange but then about five or six down like blue is in the color red and orange is in the color blue and you're supposed to read it aloud and then you start reading out like the color that the word is written in instead right, of the right. word itself so there 19, 1989 they had that again so so ahead of their time um, way ahead, way ahead. Yep. Yeah. Um, this was a cool one. I remember this image, and actually, I'm turning this into a T-shirt for us to to Ooh. have in our. So there's an exhibit called Tiger Stripes, and it was this weird kind of cool geometric tiger. He had uh, so it was black and white, and then there were these gray stripes that sat on top, and you could slide them on. They were like printed on a piece of plexiglass or glass, and you would slide them back and forth over the the white stripes on the tiger and the black stripes on the tiger. And what this would show you is that the gray color looked darker or lighter, depending on which color it was on, due to what we called, in art school, we called it simultaneously contrast. But apparently there's this thing called the Bezold effect that was named after a German professor of meteorology, Wilhelm von Bezold, who discovered oh, that a color may appear Bezold. different depending on its relation to its adjacent color. So you would slide this gray color on top of the black and it would look lighter. And then you would slide it over to the white color and it would look darker. Um, so that's a little, nice little fun trick. 
What if um, that was the, the beginning of those other different crazy illusions where you look at and you see like blues and reds and purples and I wonder if that's all, if he's the one behind that. I'm, all of this stuff ties into it. And then, uh, you know, this probably just missed the magic eye stuff by like a year or two. Mm, oh, the magic eye craze, right? Oh. Right. Every mall you'd walk over there would be oh. magic eye posters. I, I, you know, it's funny about magic eye. I'm going to for just a second. I remember as a kid, I'd, you know, be at somebody's house and really bored. And I'd stare down at the tile on the floor and I would actually make the tile with my eyes. I'd cross my eyes and make it like, oh, wow, that looks really cool. It almost looks 3D. So when Magic Guy came out, like, pshaw, this is easy. I ha I got this. I got this. And it's it's a very hard concept for people to do if, if they've never done it before. But, you know, but that when, whole you, stairs, when it stairs, hits you. Oh, All it's of a easy. sudden, you feel like you're a Jedi who's moved your first object. You're like, <laughs> oh, my God, I see it. A I did it. I did it. Yeah, yeah right. It's, it's true, though. It's, it's beautiful. Um, okay. Um, about face. So this was a giant playing card, probably like three foot high, four foot high. It was a king of clubs, and it was attached to a spinning swivel mount. And it had a smiling king at the top and a sad king at the bottom. And when you're just looking at it, the sad king looks normal but when you flip it over and really look at it you come to realize that his eyes and mouth are they're from the happy face but they're just flipped upside down so it's kind of like this weird grimace because the mouth is actually just like the smiley mouth but turned upside down but the idea was that your brain because it appears to be it's something that you know mm. like your brain doesn't sit there and suss out of like oh that looks wrong until you really stop and analyze it and the really to me the one fascinating thing about this exhibit is that the king was actually a photograph of jim mcgaskill who acted as the liaison between disney and metlife during the development of the project and eventually he became the director of external relations for metlife at epcot center after it opened up uh, he had worked at disney since 1971 got into electrical engineering and then uh, i think his last gig before he retired was uh running the siemens um their um vip lounge for for people so it was an actual disney person who was uh who was the king there cool so now now that we've done all the uh the eye stuff now it's time to get touchy time, time to get a little hands-on time to get a little touchy-feely <laughs> with things so um this exhibit didn't have a name but it was kind of like a large blue rectangular box uh with a rounded top and you'd reach your hand into the slot and there were these like metal kind of shapes inside. And as you touch them, like there was one that was kind of an amoeba, sh an amoeba shape and with a square hole in the middle or like a half sphere with like two holes, holes cut in them. And when you touch them, then it would light up the corresponding shape and it would show you what you were touching, like at, at a panel up at the top. And all this stuff was like super simple. It was It was basically just like electrical switches and feedback. And when you hit something like a light on a backlit display would light up. And I guess the idea was you're going to feel around and then try to figure out as it would show you the thing. And then you would try to touch it and figure out which one was the right one. Oh, and, okay. and so rather than ident you would, the idea was to get you to like find the one that it was showing you rather than showing you what you were touching. Um, and then there was a, another exhibit called touchy subjects and it was all about <laughs> Braille. That was and, and touchy so, subjects. That's that's yeah. a touchy. That's a very touchy name to begin with. Jeez. Yes. And so uh, there there was actually like braille, samples of braille, 
uh, down on a, on the shelf that you would touch, and then a Braille alphabet above it. And so you would learn Braille by touching, you know, the samples and then trying to figure out what it said. And there were four panels. Uh, and the first one said read, the second one said with, the third one said your, and the fourth one said hand. And there was also a quote uh, from Helen Keller on there that said, life is either a daring adventure or nothing. So isn't that cool? It is yeah, very cool. cool. Brian, they had they had an exhibit specifically for you being oh, a being a really? Philadelphia being a Philadelphia guy, and uh, and like everything, and like for some reason there's there's always some American callback, right? There's you know Bob Yanni, absolutely. I gotta gotta have America. So there's a, an exhibit called Taking Liberties, oh. and and uh, there were boxes that had a, a message on them like American as, and then you would reach your hand inside. And then try to figure out like what the American object was that you were holding. So cheeseburger, right. uh, Benjamin Franklin, <laughs> slice of apple pie, slice of apple pie, <laughs> baseball. Four, three boxes, like, and it was around a, a pillar, um, and one one was a baseball. You're absolutely right, Brian. Uh, right. The Liberty Bell was the second one. Okay, and a silver dollar was the third one. So, um, and then inside of like a tall green column with a, with another one of those spinning sensory funhouse signs, you would walk up a staircase that wrapped around the column. And then you would reach in to holes and touch this thing inside of it. And then walk up a couple more stairs and you were supposed to try to figure out what it was that you were touching. And then when you got to the top of the stairs, you could peer in and see that you were touching a reproduction of the Statue of Liberty. Oh, look at that. Which it is it is a little known fact, by the way, that we exclusively use silver dollars as currency here in Philadelphia. That's Oh wow. That's <laughs> everybody walks around jangling change in their pocket. It's very loud. And if and if all of that touching wasn't enough, there's more touching. There's so much touching. Loving and squeezing going on in the wonders of life for the end. There's another exhibit called a touch of fun. Okay. So you reach your hand inside of a box. There's always you reaching your hand inside of a box to touch something that like 30,000 other people have it's touched. The, like that COVID day. aside, it's just gross. <laughs> It's and like, this, there was no hand sanitizer. This was, of course, right, before all yeah. that. So you reach your hand inside, and then uh, you could push a button, and it would then show you, like, on a, another one of those backlit panels, like, what it was that you're touching. So it had a gyroscopic top, a giant-sized jack, like you're playing jacks, the game, uh, a spark plug, a rook chess piece, a golf ball and a club head, a spur ski goggles a flute a seashell what's the seashell for what do you mean they didn't tell you what the seashell is for uh and then uh, a train engine the empire state building a sailboat um oh jt i have to thank jt looked this up for me i there was a car and i didn't know what kind of car it was and jt was nice enough to do the research and it what do you remember what it was no, i was wrong i thought it was a z 
And then we got a better picture. I thought it was a, like a Datsun Nissan Z. Then Todd yeah. went off the, the which we thought was a porthole window, but it was actually like the fuel filler or like something. Something it, didn't seem right to me with the Datsun. Yeah. And uh, I did a little search and, hey, man, Google image search. A Ferrari 512 BBI. There you like, go. But it's, JT, you were right to think Nissan. Like, why would they go? Yeah. I mean, right? It, it doesn't it, make it any sense. It very much like, was a standard hatchback uh yeah. sports car it's a weird issue Ferrari the... pick it's not like a yeah. timeless one it's a random it's almost like the guy had one in a matchbox car in his desk yeah. and decided to use it right i mean it was it was only produced it was produced for actually 11 years but it ceased production 1984 we're five years past this um only 2300 were produced whereas the nissan z my gosh i don't even know how many so really really in uh an odd at the Berlin, yeah. Berlinetta boxer. It's just... And most most of the stuff was all over. It's weird. So like the flute was undersized. Like the seashell was a real seashell, but like the model train and the like they're all about six seven inches in height usually. Yeah. Um. So someone must have been like, go to the store, and get me stuff. <laughs> just get me but, stuff. Whatever they've got. But that's the killer part of this. Is like nobody produced models of this stuff back then it was in a classic <laughs> car it was like and and what size did you say it was like maybe five inches six inches long okay and so like three, four inches high yeah so one, yeah like a 148 scale maybe yeah, is that right yeah 132 probably okay. but so i don't know somewhere in that range. but i don't know it's just an odd like i'm not going to go into like trying to figure out the scale at this point if it was an off-the-shelf <laughs> model but brian you did have an idea that there's there's model kits out there we could buy one and paint it green and we could just put it in a box and let people touch it we absolutely could that could be an attraction at the next uh at the next retro magic we yeah, got all so, these boxes that you stick your hands into and have to figure out what's inside of it exactly so if, if we'll you call like, it the great the great uh the great immune system builder exactly attraction. exactly so write to us at podcast at retro wdw aol keyword ferrari there was also a dinosaur and i i am not a dinosaur expert so i'm like oh it's t-rex so i put it out to put it <laughs> out to the twitter one. the twitter verse and asked for help because i know there are people out there that know dinosaurs intimately and uh thanks to timber new type uh he actually he or she i uh, should find out well actually i can't tell because it's 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 a anime photo so it could be anybody anyways they they uh told me that it was a Corythosaurus, specifically as they were thought to appear in the 1980s and 1990s. And and um, they provided some, some samples of like model kits and postage stamps from that era. And sure enough, it is a, a Corythosaurus, Corythosaurus in the house. So thank you so much for giving us that answer. Yeah. So thank you, Timber New Type. And we're going to we're going to send him some retro WDW swag for uh, for answering that question. Now Get us the model kit for that car. Find us that car. Yeah. But, uh, there's no way they had that custom made. It was... I, I love being complete, but there is one item that I cannot figure out what it is. It is in the top row on the far left-hand side if you're viewing the uh, viewing the the exposed images on the back. And we have two pictures of it. And for the love of God, I cannot figure out what the thing is. So if somebody out there happens to know what the mysterious object, last object is in here, so we can put it up in our in an article and Wikipedia the heck out of it. Please, please let me know. Um, so, all right, let's let's get down to the last two things that you can touch, because now it's time to play with temperature. Um, I remember this. So, uh, 
exhibit one was called Curious Coils. And uh, there were very warm coils next to very cold coils in the center. And when you touch them at the same time, it tricks you into thinking that it's incredibly hot. Um, but you can actually touch the the separate coils on the left and right hand side. And you can see that one of them is is cool and the other one is just room temperature. So to try this at home, put your stove on high and then put a, run your cold water next in the sink next to it and touch them both and see if it feels really hot. <laughs> Don't do that, please. <laughs> there was a another exhibit there called Perplexion Pipes. And it was basically like three vertical pipes that you could grab onto. So you were supposed to touch the outer two first and then after you hold them there for like 30 seconds, it's like, then you grab the one pipe that's in the center. And um, so there was, uh, and what it felt like is like your left hand would go from hot to warm and your right hand would shift from cold to warm, which would give you this kind of strange sensation. And uh, what it was is the, the pipe in the center was room temperature. One of the pipes was chilled, very cold. And then the other one was, I think, just like a little bit hot but that that change from hot and cold to room temperature just like messes up your senses which is kind of nuts uh then there were some giant headphones do you remember, do you remember these yes. like oh man yeah those two are, they're massive humongous headphones with a bench in between and and uh if we remember our, our discussion about sound stations at disney mgm this was very similar in that you would go put on headphones but instead of being in a booth, you were just sitting out with people. I think there were four sets of these and you could push a button and then it would start to play uh, sound in these in your headphones. And it was recorded by orally, just like sound stations. Um, and, but what it was is they would, um, they would play you sounds and uh, one element of the soundscape that was created would be not what it seemed. And then it was up to you to try to figure out like what was the element that was changed or different. So um, there was one called a dark and stormy night. So you'd hear a storm and wind and thunder and that was all real, but the rain was actually the sound of bacon frying in a frying pan. And thunder. And of course, frying bacon. Ow! Oh, um, I like scary. bacon, and I don't like rain, so I, that <laughs> would have been go. a great reveal. Like, oh, it's actually bacon, <laughs> not rain. Seems interesting what? for a health pavilion to, to do bacon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, then there was one that was the Fourth of July, it's and you would hear bacon. sounds of a crowd watching fireworks. This crowd is watching fireworks, right? Take away the real effects, and they end up watching. Popcorn. Oh, I like popcorn uh, too. See yep. That? And what, fireworks though. And fireworks. Right, well, let's see how this one works for you. So the Wabash Cannonball. It was steam trains. This one. That train was being propelled by an eraser rubbing on paper. I did not like off. erasers because it reminds me of school and I never like school. So I'd <laughs> rather have the Waybush Cannonball. All right. Well, how about cars? Do you like cars? 
I love cars. All right. So so the narrator would sit down in a car. They would put on their seatbelt. They put the key in the ignition, but the engine wouldn't turn over. Uh-oh. It won't start. Do I have a dead battery? No gas? Then again, maybe it's... It's a pencil being put into an electric pencil sharpener. I always liked using an electric pencil sharpener. I still like using an electric pencil sharpener. I thought you were going to say the car wouldn't start because it was that unreliable Ferrari that they used from the... <laughs> Let's try this. There. I guess this car only runs on unleaded pencils. But... And then the last one was called I Saw It in the Jungle. Jungle noises, crickets and frogs. I call this one I Saw It in the Jungle because the sound of that bird is done with a saw. Sawing like one of the old oh, tooth like I get it. Yep. So that was it. So it was it was using your your hearing senses. Then there was another uh, you know video discs who who didn't every Epcot pavilion had to have some sort of video disc based thing. So uh, there was Actually, there were a couple there. This one was called Video Illusions. It was a touch screen controlling a laser disc, and it would show you different illusions, just kind of like the static ones. But hey, this one's on a TV. Yeah. Um, and you could touch to the touch screen. So who doesn't love that? Um, they'd ask you, do you believe what you see or see what you believe? Use your powers of observation on the following visual riddles. And so there was a uh, continuous spiral that looked like it was made out of separate circles when it turned, but it was actually just one spiral. There'd be two parallel lines, uh, but when they superimposed like a perspective grid on top of it, the lines would look like they were curved. Um, they would show you a capital E, but only kind of like the negative space and see if you could guess what it was. They would have three arcs of varying length, uh, and they would ask you which one was the longest, but then it turned out that they were all actually just cut from the same circle. So they were all really the same. And then there is the, the very famous, like, is it a young French woman or is it an old hag? Do you remember <laughs> that one? I remember <laughs> like, that one. Yeah, very, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a very famous one. I remember one. that too, yeah. It's the one that's a rabbit or a uh, duck. Oh, yeah. Right, that's another one, yeah. They were very famous in the era of fax machines too. People would, like, fax mm. them to people. Little gags. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Um, then there was one that had two groups of circles. Uh, so basically picture like a, a dot, a circle with like a bunch of larger dots around it. And then next to that, a dot in the middle with like smaller dots around it. And you were supposed to guess, you know, which one of the center dots was larger, but they were actually the same size. But because of the surrounding dots, it like made one look bigger and made one look smaller. And then there was another thing with a green heart with a yellow outline on a purple background. And you would stare at the heart for a few seconds and then the screen would turn white. And then all of a sudden you could still see kind of like the after image of the heart hanging out there on the white background, just like the other um, illusions that we saw. So that was a big deal. Um, who wouldn't want to find out? So we're in this health pavilion. Who wants to find out how healthy they are? Well, if you want to do that, you can go to the Met Lifestyle Review. So this was between Wonder Cycles and Coach's Corner that we'll get to. And it was basically like a computer quiz that would ask you questions about, you know, your work and your diet and your exercise and sleep patterns. And they would give you a rating of like how healthy you were and then some tips 
on what you could do to improve yourself. Like they'd ask you questions like, how many servings of vegetables do you eat a day? And really this is funny because um, this is the eight health habits for Moly, like the modernized version of that. Oh, right. And, yeah. And, and that whole message of like you making lifestyle decision decisions affect your overall health. So it was basically getting to drink alcohol in moderation, avoid cigarettes, think safely, fasten seatbelts in cars, exercise regularly, um, eat well, be well, maintain a healthy weight and get periodic checkups from your physician. So I think like six of those were exactly the health habits from Rolly's era. JT, here's, I think this was, you mentioned this, so I know you, you must have experienced this, the Wonder Cycle. Oh, I love the Wonder Cycles. That's so, a great way to get rid of some sugar intake, right? <laughs> I'll tell you, it's 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 a combination of a uh, recumbent bike and a CRT television, which we I know Todd loves those, <laughs> hanging over your head everywhere you go. There you go. Do you remember there was that lever in the center that you could pull, and so you could slide the seat back and forth to like get closer or farther? Yes, from and the pedals. Had, well, they they had them in a funny like on a track, like it looked like a half circle, like like almost like a road or something, right? But like like dashed line down the center, and they uh -huh. were all in the the pastel colors, the teals, the yellows, the the purples, and uh, one one of my favorite parts. I was looking back on these pictures, and I totally forgot. They had like a, a weird like readout, almost like early closed captioning uh, of your calories burned and your distance you went. And uh, what were the locations? Disneyland of all places. Oh, yeah, Disneyland, Disneyland was on there. I, I, which I remember as a kid thinking like, well, why did you put it to California? We're in Florida. That, that um, was really weird. Like you couldn't take a tour around Epcot, right? Yeah. And then the Rose Bowl parade of all things. <laughs> Yep. Well, you have to remember who designed these things. They right, didn't California Imagineers. The Rose yeah. Parade well, is will really, work. really... Yeah, they love to talk about the Rose Parade. And if you talk to Californians, yeah. you're like, oh, okay. And, and then there was... had to be some mechanism that made them go faster the faster you pedal, like the sped the disc up somehow. I, I think that's the case, yeah. they must Because you're right. As you pedaled faster and slower, it's like the, the speed of the playback would go faster and slower, too. Um, there's, and it was the hundredth anniversary Rose Bowl Parade. It wasn't just any Rose Bowl Parade. Oh. Yeah. There was also one called Micro World Big Town USA. And it was basically like shot in a parking lot at a low angle. You'd <laughs> go past like skateboarders and bicycles and stuff, but maybe the camera was two inches off the ground. Oh, that's like, weird. Yeah. That was probably the least selected out of all of them. I think most people probably pick the Disneyland one. Uh, you know, that's probably the most appealing onto them. It's such uh, a typical thing though, this, so you'd run up as a kid. I remember in like, it, it would be some kid would just hop off and he's halfway through the Rose Bowl parade. And your first thing is like, let's just do it. And then you just go and then you get sick of it. And then it's it, the, the cycle repeats itself. <laughs> like nobody actually sat on it usually and rode the whole thing. And boy, I did this many calories. It was just like, you know, dogs chasing cars You're like what's next let me go grab this hot and cold thing <laughs> right. and let, let me go on the bike next and then it's like a lunatic uh so the disneyland when i look back so you would start in the in the hub and go through the castle into fantasy land and then turn around go back through the castle again and go into frontier land you'd kind of like veer to the right and then all of a sudden turn back to the left towards the Mark Twain landing and then towards pirates and into New Orleans Square and then back out into Frontierland and then into Critter Country 
and then the video would end like in front of Splash Mountain. I think like Bear Brer and Brer Fox were there like at the end of your it, thing. It's it's so odd. Like the characters don't even fit in, you know, but they just probably got rented a stroller and put a camera on it and pushed it around the park. Like, yeah, this is easy. Probably. So I I did the whole thing and I recorded it. So I, so I went 0.4 miles and I burned 8.1 calories. <laughs> In two minutes and 41 seconds. <laughs> you went pretty fast. <laughs> I was wondering how you had this play by play. Did you have the same thing with the Rose Bowl parade? I don't. Yeah, that's okay. the only one I taped was Disney. was Disneyland because I think that's the only one I cared about. Okay. All right. So who did coach? Did anybody who did Coach's Corner? Did uh, I, I did it with baseball. Oh, fantastic. And uh, I recall the line being very long. Honestly, I was I was kind of fooled till the end. Like I really thought like the guy was talking to me. I didn't really think about it at that age. Like, I think I was 10, maybe, a, you know, nine. I didn't think about a canned responses sitting in a, in a, in a, in a can. And then they, they push them out to you. So I did it and I was all excited. And at the end, my dad kind of burst my bubble and was like, you know, that kid, five kids before you got the same response, like you're, you're, you, you, you didn't close your front foot on the step and the, you know, you, you, whatever it was, you know, they did, but it was Gary Carter, I believe was the one yeah. who did the uh, baseball. And, and it was, I mean, it was fine. I think it was like two or three swings you took at the ball on a tee and I honestly don't remember a ton of people doing tennis or golf. Like it wasn't like a, I mean, how many, I just don't remember seeing it. I don't know how common they were the ratio, Yeah, but it was, by the time you got up there, you stood in front of everybody basically and did it. And I don't remember were there like fake cameras that made you like filmed you or anything or there were, fake... there were real cameras there. Okay. So you, you were like you were... on TV, like, you know, like just play back live. Right. So you were, you were right. You could pick three sports. You could pick golf uh, baseball or, um, tennis. And then I, you know, we talked about this back in our early episodes, how there were like golf swing analyzers that they would do for you back at the, you know, the Lake Buena Vista country club. And I think this was the same thing. I, I think there was some sort of rudimentary legitimate attempt to like record your swing and try, maybe try to give you you think i really thought it was i really thought it would just be like the worker like hey did this different let's play this video for him yeah see i guess i don't know if someone like pushed buttons or if it actually was like really trying to do stuff i know sometimes if people really did something dumb they'd play a clip of like goofy from one of his how-to cartoons oh really like yeah and so what it would do is it it would record you because it would play back like um so like let's say you're doing the golf swing and nancy lopez was your like tutor it would put your video of your swing next to hers like split screen mm. on the monitor to show you like oh here's how you're here's how you did it here's how you're supposed to do it how did they not bag arnold palmer for this or somebody you know that was like sponsoring you know one of the golf courses or something at the the place that's surprising. yeah i don't know for, for tennis it was chris everett yeah, so she was I mean, kind of popular then for right. I mean, I think these were all big names. Yeah, well, Gary Carter was he was towards the end of his career. Yeah. I looked this up at that point. Um, but was but he still, with the Met, was he did he had he left the Expos and gone to the Mets yet? Or yeah, he was he, he was on the in '89, he was in his said his last year of his career, but it was he had left the Mets, so okay. he he was like towards the end. But honestly, it was there was probably that whole thing. Other than Body Wars, when I saw this, it was super exciting as a kid because you really thought 
I'm going to have a pro baseball player analyze my baseball swing. Like this is huge <laughs> for me. And you know, it call me crazy. I was nine years old at the time. I bought it, you know, and then you know, it's, <laughs> waited, I waited in line. It was like, it seems stupid, but you're like this, I'm, I'm doing this. It was way too long of a line too, for what it was like oh. probably the longest line in the whole, the whole area there. I mean, your experience was three minutes maybe. Right. Yeah. It wasn't and long. It's only one person at a time. And yep. so it's, it's you versus everybody else that wants to do it while you're there. So yeah, you could, you could easily wait an hour for that if you really, really wanted to do it badly. Um, there was also an area kind of tucked in the back, which later this ended up being like where Ghirardelli would have their like sponsored stuff during food and wine. But it was like really, I think it was close to the exit of Body Wars and maybe that's when you would catch it. It was, it was an area called Frontiers which was sometimes billed as Frontiers of Medicine. And it was a more video-based kiosks with presentations on body imaging, the immune system, aging, the brain, oh. surgery, genetics, sports medicine, and then kind of like a section called the Frontier Spotlight that would they would update more often with content. And they really did, like, they would do these different little sections with, like, new information. And about every year or two, they would refresh the discs uh, with with more stuff. Um, and there were also um, these six more kiosks just called Video Voyages. Uh, again, with the touch screens, with the laser discs where you could, there were a bunch of different topics that you could explore. So you could spend 10 minutes in there, like looking at stuff. And they had a bunch of big like backlit photos of, you know, people and brains. And they had a lot of really interesting like nice photography to look at but it was that was more of the you know more of the medical like sciencey side of it i'm surprised yeah. they didn't go with the uh, living with the land route you know on your right is a real surgery occurring right now <laughs> it's just somebody <laughs> over there just we're removing today we're learning how to remove a spleen <laughs> i'm i want to say gallery <laughs> i, I want to say at some point towards the end they actually had like a simulation of an of like you doing an ultrasound on a oh, okay yeah. on like a figure of a pregnant woman and you could like hold the thing up to the belly and it would kind of simulate you until you like found the embryo i could be completely making that up but i, I have a feeling like that was something that was in there I wonder if um, this pavilion pr uh, promoted or convinced anybody to go into the medical field or like, the you know, nutritionist or, you know, that sort of thing. Like oh, yeah. people got excited about it, but who knows? Uh, and then um, it had one store called Well and Goods Limited. And uh, it so it had like souvenirs from uh, from the pavilion. So you could get your goofy bad health visor, your wonders of life sweatpants, your oh, I survive so body cool. wars pins. Um, but it also had like cookbooks. And some workout clothes and some things too. So, um, in fact, sweat, it wasn't just sweatpants. How it was a matching top too. It was that's a whole true. Suit. Boy, true. now I now I want to get a Wonders of Life outfit for the marathon in January. I think that'd be baller. Just a full on like teal and pink letters. It would be. Nobody would um, know what I'm doing. But um, did you, and MetLife actually had a cookbook that they sold there too. Yes. Um, which um, predated the pavilion, I think, by about three years. But uh, it is it is available out on eBay. Um, actually, it was called... Where did I put that? Because it was one... Oh, you just sent it to me the other day. It was called Eat Well, Be Well. 
Yeah. And it was a oh. hundred recipes. So if, if anybody wants to eat Met Lifestyle, go <laughs> go look at this cookbook on eBay and get yourself a copy. I don't think they're particularly expensive. Yeah, but they have been producing cookbooks for like a hundred years of of you know healthy recipes to extend their investment in you and have you keep paying your premiums late into life. <laughs> that seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Well, the longer you pay it, the better off they make out. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, oh, actually, since we're talking about food, Brian, would you would you tell us a little about Pure and Simple, which was the restaurant inside of the pavilion? Pure and Simple, you say? Just lying smiling in the dark, shooting stars around your heart, dreams come bouncing in your head, pure and simple every time. Now you're crying in your sleep, I wish you'd never learn to weep. Don't sell the dreams, you should be keeping pure and simple every time. Why don't you start with the burn bombs description, then I'll shed some light on. Oh, the through the skylight of the pavilion, perhaps. Yes, for the Pure light dishes Sim they offered. <laughs> Pure and Simple <laughs> offers a variety of healthy snacks, including oat bran waffles and smoothies made with frozen yogurt. What year was that? Is that the like the original guide? This one is 1995. Okay, so you're six years in. So, uh, no, we were preparing for this. Uh, I had spoken briefly with our friend Chef Keith Keogh, who was in charge of all the food at Epcot at the time, and he said he did recall uh, his work on, on this project and that it really started the whole health area strategy and training for all of the parks. But I, in order to talk about it, we have to set the stage, uh, and I expect that Hal will probably more vividly remember this than, uh, than Todd and JT, but... There was a period of time in the latter half of the 80s and then through the 90s and early to the, where like a food would suddenly become like, if you eat this, you will die. And, <laughs> like, yes, and the apple and juice so, was one so, of them. Like, well, the, so yeah. there was like there was this point where all of a sudden eggs, like one egg, you you've essentially eaten nothing but butter for 30 years and you're going to drop dead. And now we know that eggs and protein are relatively good for you. And uh, they're, if you remember about 15, 20 years ago, an Oreo, like, oh, eating one Oreo, you might as well just drink strychnine. Like, it's all, it's a, there's all the trans fats in, in Oreos, you just die. Um, movie theater, butter, popcorn. A movie theater, buying a, a pail of popcorn. All this junk science from this outfit called the Center for Science and the Public Interest. And they, like, pick a food every one or two years to demonize and it, it's all garbage nonsense but uh, why do they do that why do they pick a food i can't explain what other people do well, <laughs> i can just tell you that it's been a it's been a common thing and it and it really you know todd mentions apple juice and grape juice and because that's what we all drank as kids i mean we drank juice and Oh, the sugar and juice is terrible. You have to so you so these moms now water it down. Like they not only does the apple juice taste terrible compared to when we were kids, but now moms like <laughs> mix it halfway with water. Uh, you know, <laughs> like like they're feeding prisoners or something. Like your your kid doesn't know any better. He's sitting there with the sippy cup and the the apple juice has about a third of the sugar that it had when we were little kids. But anyway, so this whole you'll remember this how. The late 80s were the era of oat bran. Oh, gosh, yeah. All, all of a sudden, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you know, the, the, we have these miracle wheat things. Germ that get, well, wheat germ was a little bit more of a 70s, 70s thing. That's true, yeah. but, but in the 80s, it'd be like 
uh, fiber. If you remember, Post had a cereal <laughs> called Fruit and Fiber, and yeah. everything fiber was in, in the in the fiber in the first half of the '80s. It was fiber, and then somehow in the mid to late '80s, it became oat bran. And everything was oat bran, hence, JT, you referenced the waffles. That, I thought colon blow. I read colon blow did it in. The commercial from, from Saturday Night Live. Uh, so in that vein, uh, as people were examining uh, health, the, the healthy lifestyles, the which started with some of the exercise craze of the late 70s, early 80s, jogging or in anchorman i maybe pronounce jogging uh jane fonda's <laughs> workout videos the holiday spas and the jack lalane workout centers that were oh all over gosh. the country yeah like a, even so, even angela lansbury had like a workout video yeah which we're all finding out now that uh people are retweeting it wow. in, in, in her path so th there was this big sh cultural shift um and it's it's part of the reason why when we look at pictures when we look at pictures of moms and dads with their kids in these slides from the 80s all the moms and dads look like they're like 57 years old and like oh my mom was 32 then and you know it's just, it just you just used to get married and have a kid and mom and dad just stopped like you know they, they there was there was no there was no more you know they weren't eating bran flakes and jogging and doing the things that you know adults do today to, to try to stay in shape. So anyway, in that vein, uh, you know, the the knock, as we heard from our chefs panel during during our retro magic uh, panel, uh, you know, the knock was that theme parks were cheeseburgers and hot dogs and and popcorn and you know basic food, and to a degree that was true. And there was a competition between the chefs, both in the theme parks and in the resorts, uh, to try to up the game and one-up each other in the cuisine that they offered. And Epcot was the first real palate in the theme park venue with those international restaurants and all where the, they tried to, to up the game and give you a, a world-class experience that they were trying to do in the resorts as well. So as health food became the thing uh in the latter half of the 80s they wanted to integrate that into this pavilion so uh, one of the things that keith keogh told us uh was that you know they were looking at nutritional guidelines they were getting some input from metlife uh and the whole idea was you know part of the pavilion talked about foods impact on your health and so they wanted this uh food venue in there to just peddle healthy foods uh so the kind of things that they had there when it opened because it, it went through various shifts jt mentioned the waffle and they did they did have the waffle uh it was a brand it was it was made using rice bran uh and which was a departure from oat bran and uh they served it with sugar-free preserves instead of syrup you couldn't get syrup on it fresh fruits and juices uh, when it opened, venison chili was a was one of their big things, and so uh, as beef became demonized in the latter half of the '80s and early '90s, uh, substitute meats came in. So there was a focus on venison, uh, bison, and other things as as alternatives that were much more heart healthy. So they developed a venison chili for the pavilion. That eventually, by the way, if you look at later menus, became a vegetarian chili. Uh, that they served in the, in in the in the facility, but uh, 
you know, they had uh, sausages, uh, like, uh, uh, that was with a mustard, and it was a chicken and vegetable sausage. It was 70% vegetables and 30% chicken. And his whole thing was, you know, you say healthy, people think it's terrible. And they were biting into these sausages saying, man, it's great. It was served with Disney's own ginger honey mustard. Doesn't this stuff sound good? So here's the thing. Healthy food isn't that good. <laughs> right? Like, the, the, the thing that I always remember, and by the way, by the time I was a regular visitor to Pure and Simple, uh, it was, you know, it was yogurt and, uh, um, you know, fruit cups, like prepackaged fruit cups and things. It had really, by the, by the second half of the 90s, all of those aspirations uh, had kind of started to fade and the menu started to shrink. And then it became kind of off the shelf health foods by the, by, by the end, uh, you know, you'd, I don't even know how many hot, how much hot food they were selling by the by the by the final years of the pavilion. I remember it frequently not being open at all. Um, but smoothies, smoothies. Yeah, but it was their first uh, attempt to incorporate that kind of stuff in there. So uh, an early article on it includes a recipe for the venison chili, a beta carotene salad. Uh, does that sound exciting to you? Some leaf spinach, some cantaloupe, carrots, radishes, mm. broccoli florets, uh, serve with a cantaloupe vinaigrette, which the recipe is here for. Uh, we can include this article with the uh, with the uh, with the show notes. But sounds refreshing. It it does sound refreshing. Uh, one of the things, though, as you study habits of so back then, the lifestyler element, the locals that would go to the parks on a regular basis, wasn't. I mean, it's not that it didn't exist, but it was not prevalent by any by any means. It didn't make up their guest count. And when people are on vacation or dining out, in general, they want to indulge. So, loose, not so, dieting this week. Right? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not here to eat an oat bran waffle with this. I, you know, I want syrup on my <laughs> waffle. And so you will find. Uh, so one of the we talked about the waffle. So it's called the Wonder Waffle. I don't want to miss this. And when it originally was sold uh, in the rice bran format, uh, it had this weird like ice cream cone mold, which how found both of the molds that they ultimately used. Uh, both of the waffle irons are still produced. But the original one had like these, what was it five, I think, ice cream cone chambers around uh, kind of shaped thing. And it was really interesting looking. And by the late 90s, mid late 90s, I don't know what happened to the original waffle irons, but then it became hearts and more of a traditional heart-shaped design. It was like four hearts around. Uh, so, but the Wonder Waffle was like one of their signature items. Well, okay, JT, you have picky kids. You take your kid, you put a rice bran waffle in front of them and then say, have this unsweetened strawberry preserve on top. What's your, what's your three-year-old going to do? Uh, probably wouldn't enjoy it too, too they, much. Right. So the funny thing is, is we find pictures of these Wonder Waffles by the late 90s and on the tray next to like a little shot, like the plastic containers with a lid on it of like the preserves are like packets of Smucker's syrup that you could put up. <laughs> like they've totally abandoned any pretense of, you know, you're going to eat healthy because we've told you to eat healthier. That's all we're offering here. You know, at the end of the day, eh, you want syrup? Yeah, we got packets of syrup here for you too. So... 
Uh, nice experiment, you know, much like the rest of the pavilion. It went through a lot of changes, tinkers, uh, and, and that, as I said, that menu just shrunk and shrunk and shrunk over the years until by the end it was just prepackaged salads and fruit and yogurt and they're just uh, what, stuff you could get really at any quick service pavilion around around the park. So, now did that start a revolution though? Because could you get quick eat salad at the you know everywhere else? Well, it it was the start of them. And again, you're going to 1989 here, so it was the start of in the 90s all of those menus. Not necessarily. I don't know when they started identifying things as light and fit or, or healthy yeah, or whatever. Because uh, if you remember, those 70s and early 80s men, you had like the dieters plate. And it was like a scoop of cottage cheese and a T-bone steak or something. Was your, <laughs> you know, it was, it was the, the, the dieters plate was always like you look at it. Like, oh, God. Um, but it was the beginning of them looking at kind of the, the the foods that you were eating and calorie counts and how much butter and how much eggs and those kinds of things trying to find alternatives or at least each menu incorporating you know that but the 90s were the era of grilled chicken like you know grilled chicken was not a big thing before that you know you really you're not that you didn't get chicken for dinner but uh the the the, the came into its own in the 90s with with that focus on lower fat uh, lean meats and really cutting a lot of the dairy stuff out and all that. That was that man. That was the decade for it. And so this was really at the forefront. Uh, I, I was trying to think of a few more of those like foods um, that came into. I mean, kids cereals. Uh, if you remember in the early '80s, they took the word sugar out of everything. It was super sugar crisp and um sugar smacks and then they just changed the name it's super golden crisp now and it's honey smacks and it's you know they just they took sugar off out of everything just out of the name to... yeah i remember the this is when the health food um i'll call it health food because but i don't really know it. like nature's table like those kinds of things would pop up in malls with pita sandwiches stuff with bean yep. sprouts and like alfalfa sprouts and oh, the pita was awful it was yeah. like one of the most yeah. blandest tasting things you'd ever but like that was the trend so it's like you'd go we would go to the mall and order those sandwiches and they were kind of not good no i mean it was there was a lot of that um you know, it's hard, I guess, for people today to first off, California cuisine was its own beast. And it took California cuisine, which was really health food, uh, this kind of stuff with the hummus and things like that. It really hadn't made its way east uh, until the 90s. I mean, as a as a as a real fan, and it really started in the sushi and things like that started in big cities and s small little hamlets of big cities. And became much bigger in the 90s as healthy options to eat uh, as the focus changed from, you know, just eating a grilled cheese with bacon and tomato whenever you felt like it to, you know, recognizing I shouldn't eat like this every day. And, you know, maybe we'd like to live past 55. Um, so, you know, and then and fast food went through it. I mean, I think we've all talked about the... There was a period of time where the, the, the BK had the BK broiler, was the chicken whopper, basically. Oh, it was a grilled right, chicken right, whopper. Right. And, you know, they all, grilled, man, grilled chicken was it. Grilled, it was the grilled chicken decade. <laughs> now we're into the beyond decade. Well, the funny thing is we're, we're in two places right now because you're in the beyond decade, 
but I think people have eaten more fried chicken sandwiches in the last 10 years than they ate in the know, prior right? 200 years. Like We're it, in like the chicken <laughs> like, wars now. Yeah, it's really like, it's fascinating. Past three, four years, it's like, who has the best chicken sandwich? Well, it's great because Chick-fil-A just sat in this little corner for like 40 years making these great chicken sandwiches. And then everybody else is like, you know what? We ought to do that too. We ought to go out there. And, and so now they've all one-upped each other and... The, the, you know, that's remember when like Popeyes came out with their chicken sandwich and it was like shutting down roadways and they were running out of chicken. There were fights in the street a couple years ago. Like it was crazy. <laughs> oh, they, are man. they all out of chicken or do they just not have any? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I like that one. <laughs> um, um, it was really neat eating there too because they they took almost like the entire outside ring of the pavilion there and elevated it and you walked up stairs and so when you sat around this ring you could look down on the pavilion as you're eating it was it was really kind of neat and it was the first place i ever saw there too where they had like uh um like six stools with like a bar top yes and so if you were there by yourself you could you know sit at one of the bar top stools the kind of things you see a lot in airports and all now where yeah. it's, it's 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 you know just but yeah that's exactly what it is it's like bar seating um I will put the call out because we've had luck with this kind of stuff before. The few photos, there's like no printed menus out there because it was just a menu board. So where we normally have a preserved menu from a lot of these places. Uh, we, we know we have a fairly decent picture of like the first menu. But as I said, it went through a lot of changes. Some of the surviving menus we have from like the late 90s and the early 2000s, extremely blurry. You can't make them out. So if, but, and it, and again, people were still using film then. Nobody had a digital camera for m most of the era of the life of this place when it wasn't just serving salads and yogurt that were prepackaged. Uh, so if you happen to have a film camera or video footage where the menu is zoomed in on at Pure and Simple, uh, please send it over or direct it to our attention because we would love to love to have it. Yeah, it's interesting. I, looking back on the pictures when it first opened, they actually had like one of those display cold cases, yes. kind of like out in the walkway to catch your eye, to get you to go back in and, and try some of the food that was displayed in there. I mean, what, as I said, when it opened, the menu was very ambitious and creative, and there was an emphasis on making these things taste good. And when we read the articles uh, and talked to Keith, there was a tremendous amount of time, but I mean, Disney made all that stuff themselves. They made the chili from scratch. They made the cantaloupe vinaigrette from scratch. And I'm, yeah, they're not doing that now. <laughs> you know? I mean, you, you know, you get 15 years on and they're like, they're just picking, you know, which Ken salad dressing are we pulling off the shelf on this one? Like, we're not, we're not sitting here making dressings and doing these things, especially not in a, you know, one of the things that, I remember a lot about the final years of this pavilion because it was when I was going pretty regularly in the 2000s is I mean the crowds had slowed to a trickle and you'd walk in there at times and you'd be the only two people or three people walking in and there'd be nobody behind you for three or four minutes and it I mean it's like going to a mall today where like two-thirds of the storefronts <laughs> are empty and yeah, that's what I was thinking of when Todd was talking about that little, or you were talking about that little spinner thing taken away, and then just leaving the posts there, like 
we're not even going to try to dress this up. Like, ah, nobody's paying attention to it. It really, it really was a um, uh, a surreal experience to walk into that pavilion in its final years and it become seasonal and. You know, there was a trickle of excitement every now and then, like, oh, they're going to open it for the month of December. Like, you knew the high, high, but, like, it just, it was depressing if you were there while it was still open after the holiday rush. And, you know, it was just, you know, it was, like, eerie. Yeah, for sure. Do, do any of you remember that? Like, going in there, like, in the final years, and it just kind of, like, nobody being there. Yeah, I, I don't think I I was visiting down there at that time. I took that period of time off from going, and uh, yeah, I yeah I didn't go. I definitely I, I was there in two thousand four, but that was before when they closed. Oh seven was it? Eight, I think. Eight, yeah, I can't remember if I went in there in 04. Maybe I. I was such on an MGM Studios kick at that era, you know, in my mid-teens, late teens. Well, I mean. We'll get there when we get there, but really, you know, this. It yeah, we was, need to get somewhere. We're, we've been it, at this for a while. <laughs> it was, it was, and it was red hot when it opened. But then, as more things opened up in Epcot, you know, just the the crowds, like interventions, became really big, and then people spent well, all their time there instead the, of spending much time. And the technology. Time. I mean, the but by by the time interventions opened five years later. Even the exhibits in places like Imagination all had been updated to the point where everything in in Wonders of Life, so much of it instantly looked old right. and, and and corny uh, compared to the new things that they were, you know, remember the 90s, man, they, they were the go-go 90s down there. They were dropping new stuff all the time. Yeah, there's there's probably a sweet spot for the, for the visitor here for all this hands-on stuff we've been talking about, like, eight nine ten eleven and then once you've outgrown that you're just like oh it's that old thing i don't care about that yeah and and i you know so i think that it just it, it suffered from very much being a victim of its time now we'll get to cranium command and body wars in, in a future episode right todd yep <laughs> oh yeah uh, we got part three at some point we might have they're gonna be four. a part four too, yeah. At least, yeah, and, and how's threatening a fifth? So, <laughs> but not in a row. We promise you, not there's gonna row. be a break yeah. coming up. We've got a got one so, more episode in the yeah, can so, on this. So, two more quick things to to wrap this up. Uh, so, the MetLife blimp. So, there was a miniature MetLife. This seems so weird. There was a miniature MetLife blimp that was remote controlled that would fly around inside the pavilion. Uh, if you were there when, a lot of times when I went, it would just be sitting in one place. But it was a reproduction of like one of those Snoopy meant life blimps and it would fly around inside. And so it was really weird to see like Snoopy in with Disney with Goofy and stuff going on underneath it. But they would they would fly that guy around. And then uh, there were there was an expansion in 1991. They added yet another fascinating uh, uh, attraction inside called the MetLife Family Reunion. And you'll see the uh, newspapers show up on eBay and in some things where it's like uh, it would have your name. They would print your name and kind of like this fake newsletter it's saying like, oh, the McCartney family went to Epcot and here's the stuff that they saw. And they they actually personalize this thing and hand it out to you. And kind of like that Hallmark thing. Remember, you would pay for that in the 80s. The Hallmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was one of the columns was like Willard Scott giving a, a like saying what the weather was like. And so a lot of people are like, well, why is Willard Scott 
on this thing inside Wonders Alive. So I figured I needed to do some some deep diving. And what I found out was that um, in 1990, MetLife started a nationwide campaign to find policyholders who purchased industrial life insurance policies from the years 1879 to 1964. Industrial insurance predated whole life and universal life, and it was typically sold to blue collar workers with industrial factory jobs to pay for burial expenses, like if they got no accidents or things. So they actually started this program called the MetLife Family Reunion in 1990. And the idea is they um, they were looking at their um, at their numbers of how many of these policies were getting paid off. And they realized that um, the death benefits um, that they were expecting to pay out were way lower than statistically they should have been. So they launched a nationwide campaign to find the policyholders because the assumption was that people had just forgotten that these policies had existed or the descendants wow. of the people that owned the policies just forgot about it. And MetLife knew that if money was unclaimed after the insured person turned 99, a year later, it goes into the general coffers of the state fund in which the state of the policyholder last lived. So this is where you see all those things on the internet of like, oh, you might have money like sitting in this state thing and you should find out if your name is on that. Um, and so they were trying to prevent that from happening. They actually had over 5 million industrial policies that needed to get paid out with a combined value of $4.2 billion. So they were actively looking to find these policyholders. So this whole program and this kiosk was designed to, you know, besides giving you like this nice newsletter was to see if maybe you had a policy and to get your information into the system so they could try to put people together to do this payout. And the reason that Willard Scott was on these printout is because they hired him to be the face of the campaign. It turns out his dad had actually been uh, one of those MetLife industrial insurance salesmen. And so they made him the face of, of that campaign and did a big party at the MetLife thing. And they had stuff on the Today Show and they had a whole nationwide campaign through their early 90s to try to get people to uh, to get reunited with Met so they could pay this stuff out. And those kiosks were all part of that. So he so, went from Maelstrom over right over there. Didn't 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 miss a trick. Yeah. And I wondered I, was, I wondered if there was a time connection, but I, I think there was enough of a space and time that it must must have been more of a coincidence than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Because, but yeah, was, so that's why Willard Scott is on those. If you ever see him, it's like, that's that's why Willard Scott was there. Um, we know that there were some changes to the interior of the pavilion uh, between when it opened in 89 and then sometime around 1993. It looks like they went and did some refreshes. So there were some things that were added, like um, when you walked in, there were these boxes that you could stand behind and you would push a button and like a skeleton would kind of like, they were like x-ray machines right? as for kids. So that wasn't there originally, that was actually an add-on. Um, they started doing things around, I think 94, 95 with like sandwich boards pointing out where Cranium Command was. Yeah because they were having issues with that and they actually redid the the marquee outside Cranium yeah, command they did the second facade yeah yeah and there was 
there was just kind of issues in general, as I talked about, of people being able to find uh, these pavilions. Because once you got inside there, holy cow, it was, I mean, all the flags and there's spinning lights and there's a, was lot, a lot of, of was a lot of sensory overload of where you were going. It, Very well, much so. And, and the rides were in the back. So if you're walking in the front, uh, and all of a sudden you you walk in there and look at the at the I mean imagine walking into the Mexico pavilion now if the boats weren't sailing by the ref restaurant you might not know there was a boat ride there absolutely so you just kind of look and say oh it's some shops and before the tequila bar there's some ba there's a bathroom over there <laughs> and a restaurant ah you know but because there's a volcano and boats going by it draws you in Right. The Wonders of Life didn't have that. The Wonders of Life, you you walked in and you looked around and there was a lot of busy little exhibits, but it looked like what we would now look at like a trade show floor, uh, where if you went to a major trade show now, some of the more inventive displays and things like that, like it, you know, it's designed to be like a midway fair. Yeah. Uh, but you would walk in and be like, I, you know, I don't know if we want to stay here. Like, let's let's Horizons is next door or. There's dinosaurs the other way. Like, you know. yeah. yeah, I think it's a very fair criticism to say, you know, the one thing that Disney always used to get props for was like creating weenies and, and creating flows. So that way you, you would see something and go like, oh, I want to go there. And they were very careful not to use colors and shapes and things that would compete with each other. It's like things generally work together. This was not designed that way. It's like this was a real hodgepodge of stuff. It was... Like I said, there was no real anything to kind of show you where you needed to go. It was in obvious where the entrances to the major attractions were. Uh, and, and so that ended up being a problem. As soon as you see a sandwich board up somewhere at Walt Disney World, you yeah. know something has failed, particularly if it's pointed towards an attraction when they threw out in front or a vinyl banner. I mean, there was even a vinyl banner that they hung up between the pillars where Body Wars entrance was. Yep. Um, because there was like there was nothing to indicate. You know, back in the '70s, they would throw like a giant arrow on the wall <laughs> to make you think that like you needed to walk that way and like into the entrance. But uh, you know that that aesthetic wasn't there. So um, it was you know it was a little bit of a. It's funny for something that had so much like sensory stuff. It was sensory overload, uh, and and then became a ghost town. Right. But we'll uh, we'll talk on our episode more about Body Wars and uh, Making of Me and the Anacomical Players and, and Goofy About Health. And, and we're going to have a special guest with us. Uh, and so uh, next time uh, we will finish off the major attractions of Wonders of Life. Well, Hal, thank you very much for putting all this research into it. I did. We might be eclipsing in time uh, horizons by the time we're done with this, but we're going to go back and look. But this is a pretty good deep dive, as we always do. So super appreciate all of your time putting this together for for the recording. Hopefully, hopefully everyone's still with us and not sleeping. It's I know they no, I, I put, they might still be it. asleep. But I put them asleep a long time ago with all my math. So. <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, uh, how you were inspired by some t-shirts uh talking today about some t-shirts, right? Yeah, yeah. We're gonna have we're gonna have some awesome Wonders of Life uh inspired throwback stuff in the store by time this plays. So That'd be come, awesome to see. Come check us out at uh retro forward slash support us. That's right. 
and you can get all sorts of other great gear that Howe has developed and come up with over the years, as well as other people have done some designs, Jason and others. So yeah, looking forward to everything that everybody's got out there. Uh, looking forward to anybody donation. And I'm going to make an announcement here because I know we have it and we're ready to roll with it. And by the time this posts, they'll be available. Uh, we have the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society 2022 holiday ornament now available. So you can come get the greatest of all time, which is a reproduction of Mary Blair's famous five-legged goat. Uh, best part is it comes with an optional, two extra, just you know, an extra one, just in case, optional red nose. So if you want to make it a, a holiday goat, that is a is available in the package so that can be yours for a donation to the lake buena vista historical society at lbvhs history.org forward slash donate or retro wdw.com forward slash donate uh but as always thank you gentlemen for sitting in this evening this was this one brings back memories we have not hit the midnight clock for a while this is uh we've been a little tighter usually in our recordings but this one's good we got some outtakes to take care of but I thank you for your time as always and looking forward to the next one. So with that, we thank all of our listeners. Appreciate your, everything you do, the donations. And uh, if you can give us a shout out in iTunes or in your favorite podcasting app. And uh, with that, we'll see you next month. And Brian, take us out. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History and on the web at lbvhistory.org. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RetroWDW. And follow our hosts, Todd McCartney, on Twitter at WDWMS, Hal Bowers on Twitter and Instagram at GoAwayGreen, JT Couser on Twitter at LS1JT and on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax exempt 501c3 organization, and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities. Before you go, I'd like to give you a nice round of applause. No, no, not River Rapids. I said applause. Bravo. Thanks for stopping by. Drop in again sometime and we'll see what you can hear.